Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, it's the 13th of March, 2023. You ain't got no job. You ain't got us to do. So you might as well just be here with us. Hi, everyone. Two idiots here to help you today. My name is Luke Thomas. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C. Joined by my friend from the great... Well, we'll say Great White North, but something kind of close to it. A place that I mean, land, land that time white, forgot. There are a lot of white people in Connecticut, Luke. Okay? <laughs> there's, that's a lot of snow, there's a lot of snow, too. There's a lot of snow. Yeah. It's uh, Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian Campbell. Luke Thomas, I'm back. Let's do this thing. Oh, tech, te- tech problems, Luke. Almost, almost sunk my battleship today. But, you know, uh, unlike uh, unlike Jack at the end of Titanic, spoiler alert, Luke, I was not only not cold, but I was able to uh, survive. So I'm very excited about that. Yes, right. I did try to leave you in the icy water, but um, it didn't yes, work this yes, time. Yeah, yes, not yes. my fault. We almost didn't have a show today. About 45 minutes ago, I got a phone call being like, well, there's no show today. And I was like, well, that's terrible. But we actually yeah. figured it out. Wait, so do you know what we- fixed it? Here's here's the here's the the here's the recommendation for anybody out there. Just restart your laptop. It fixes everything, dude. Right? It's like a it's you know it's like go back to the drawing board. Sometimes in your life you got to do that too, Luke. Okay, but uh, happy to be here with with our peeps, all all these people who subscribe to us because you know at the end of the day, Luke, they know deep in their hearts that they're washed pieces of shits. And they think we're just cooler versions of that. So, it, look, if this is the family we've built, Luke, you know, I'm, I'm here for it, brother. All right. Yeah, same, same. So we have a fun show planned for you today. Obviously, we have a lot from the weekend to get over or get to, I should say. There was Bellator on Friday. There was UFC on Saturday. There was also Tim Zhu beating kind of the brakes off Tony Harrison uh, on Saturday as well. We'll get to all three of those. So thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Please hit subscribe. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, do leave us a nice review. want to remind everyone, Showtime.com is the label that pays. Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can pound sand. Of course, if you had Showtime over the weekend, you got to see both Bellator and Tim Zhu. Although, BC, we just saw the ads for uh, Plant Benavidez. That one will be on Showtime pay-per-view because that one, can't wait for it, electric okay. in the Showtime schedule. Let, let me say this. Episode one of All Access, Benavidez oh, versus I still haven't Plant. seen it yet. I still haven't seen it so- yet. It debuted Friday on Showtime. You can catch it now for free on YouTube on the Showtime Sports YouTube channel. And all I have to say is, like, if you don't know a lot about this fight or whatever, like, plug it, plug yourself in and watch that. I Luke, I was so fired up watching that last night that I was, like, involuntarily shadow boxing around the room. Like, I'm not going to give you any spoilers. There's no major spoilers, but it's a great, it's a great program. But, dude, every single time Benavides talks about Plant, he's got like the the scary eyes going. Like mm-hmm. every single time, dude. And Plant's just like trying to play him like a pup. It's it's a wild dynamic, and and it's going to be interesting to debate as we get closer to March 25th. You know how that changes things because Plant's not afraid of this guy at all, and this guy is the damn boogeyman. So 
you know, I don't know who's going to win this, Luke, except for you and I on the ground in Vegas. We're going to be big winners, all right? Yeah. I got to say, I, I actually watched a Fight Hub interview with David Benavides, and we've spoken to him, too. We actually interviewed him right after he missed weight during the pandemic. Do you remember that? We were actually yes. hosting the weigh-ins for that, and he missed the he missed weight. Uh, when you actually talk to him about things other than Caleb Plant, he seems <laughs> relatively mild-mannered. You bring yeah. up Caleb Plant, bro, and it's a, it's over. It's a completely different ballgame. So he's like, no, I'll that. actually kill that man. You know, like, I'm like, okay, okay, right. bro. We're just, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. take it easy. Uh, so that's that. I want to remind everyone about that as well. Uh, let's see. We have merch, BC. We have merch on the uh, the store. You can go to morningcombat.store. What can they find at the wonderful old merch store, BC? They can find fantastic mix of uh, hats, T-shirts, sweatshirts. We're talking about bomber jackets. Look, I, I, these bomber jackets are about as handsome as Luke and I can be, okay? So when we put those on, it matters. Why don't you jump on board? There may be some scant discounted leftovers from our MK and UK excursion on there, but uh, fantastic quality morningcombat.store. Uh, RJ is there working behind the counter. Tell them uh, BC and LT sent you. I'm sure you'll get nothing from it at all. I haven't even heard from RJ in weeks, Luke, okay? But he does a great job, just the same. Yeah, well, when your last name's Dunkel Gangbang, I mean, you know, <laughs> they tell you what they're up to. Uh here for you. It's morning. <laughs> I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you when we can. Uh, BC, that's it for our ads. Now, we have to do a recap of OK Bet, and I do this with great, I won't oh, say yes. trepidation. I won't say great trepidation, but... Well, time to pay the piper, I guess. All right, so you guys know how it goes. Every Friday, we pick the main event winner from the same card, like who we think is going to win the biggest fight, the biggest card of the of the weekend. Obviously, we were going to do Usman Nurmagomedov, but he was like a gazillion whatever favorite, so we went to the UFC card. We did that, and then we have to pick which fight's going to end in a KO or a sub, which one will go the distance, which one won't, right? And then we have to pick our favorite, and then one of our upsets. So that's how we went down the list. BC, here's the thing. <laughs> you did better than me. Which is yes. not saying much. Hold on, let me get this out. You still did basically as well as you normally do, which is to say not well. The, <laughs> the, the difference is I did cataclysmically bad. I mean, the, literally, literally the worst you could fucking do. O and five for yeah. your boy. All right, so let's go through this here very quickly. Before we they get call it the, the golden five. sombrero in baseball, Luke, or something like that, right? Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Your record still sucks, but you had a much better weekend than I did. So let's go through it. We both started off quite badly in terms of top-down picks. We thought in the main event, both Jan was going to win. That didn't happen. That's an O for us there. In our favorites, I picked Saeed Nurmagomedov, which, by the way, BC, Jan I wasn't too, too sure about. I felt pretty good about the Nurmagomedov pick. That one blew up yeah. in my face. You picked Julius Angliskis. He also lost in that one, which also I found very surprising as well to Dovletstan Yagshimuradov. So uh, over wow, well there. Done. All right. Well done, Grasso. I like uh, that. I like the commitment there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the underdog, I whiffed here. Gochi Yamauchi. Nope. That fight went about five yeah. fucking seconds. He'll you never walk Vol again. Great job. Yeah. 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 He also might never walk again. Uh, you picked Alexander Volkov. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. That was one of them. That was your underdog pick. Well done. In the over under, I picked Musayev Shabli to go the distance, which it, it was getting there. It was getting there. But of course, it ended in the third round. You picked uh, Vassell uh, Moldovsky to go over. That's a big fat L. That did not happen. Uh, I had picked for my KO or subbed. It says Barzola Perez. No, no, I had. Well, that's not right. But I didn't have it either. I had uh, Krilov going up against um, a span. Yeah, you freestyle. Luke, to be fair, you freestyled during the show. You gave Mikey different picks, and it wouldn't matter. You, you were it, it, it wouldn't matter. Either one was wrong. But I had said that I was going to end in a KO, ended in a sub, so it wouldn't have qualified anyway. But you, you did go. get you did get Zoo 
versus Harrison ending in a KO correct. So that brings your total to 13 and 21. Still, you know, you're still the Baltimore well, Orioles of this bitch. I want to point I that out. I do have alligator blood, Luke. Check, <laughs> check, check. Okay. I'm not going away. Little by little, I'm coming back. All right. Little by little. <laughs> I turned in a whopping. Oh, I mean, why would you listen to my advice? It's the worst fucking advice on earth. Well, but it brings me to. We I'm still. Hey, head is still above water. I'm 18 and 16. What we learned is that neither of us are actually good at this. But <laughs> the whole thing is who is worse. That's what we're trying to figure out. I that just gained back. Put it. I gained back two picks this week, and uh, we'll see what happens this weekend as UFC returns to London with a pretty damn big pay per view. Uh, what else is going on this weekend in, in combat? I kind well, of forgot just, to check this good. Let's just remind folks the pregame preview with Chuck Mendenhall yes. for UFC 286. It came out yesterday. It's out now. YouTube.com slash morning combat. That is out. Go have a gander. Take a look. We always have fun sitting down with the Iceman, Sir Charles himself, and well, uh, we get you ready for the big full, part. Full disclosure we filmed that directly after we filmed the UFC uh, John Jones pregame preview. So we were a little extra saucy. So if you. Come to MK and pregame preview to hear like educated breakdowns from Luke and Chuck about who will win. This is not going to be your episode, okay? There's going to be a lot of BC humor in it, and that's just look. You want to you want to feed me Tiger thick whiskey? That's what happens, Luke. Yeah, fair enough. You guys were boozing. It was unbelievable. So uh, there you have it. That's up there for everyone uh, to take a look at, and uh, don't bet on anything I say. Otherwise, you're an idiot. How about that? All right, very good. Uh, BC, you ready to get this party started? Um, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about put like not mailing it in at all and absolutely bringing it today in. I'm, I'm always in for that. Yeah. Uh, all right, all let's right. start with, <laughs> let's start with topic number one, if we can. And we're just basically going to go in chronological order on the weekend here. So we start with Usman Nurmagomedov, BC. Now we knew on Friday, according to the odds makers, they had expected him to be the world's biggest favorite. He was going to be, uh, you know, I think it was my over minus 2000 favorite, some astronomical tw 20 to one favorite to win. And we both thought that was a little silly, but that we, you know, yes, the, the win is not so much in doubt, but maybe we're sleeping on Benson Henderson a little bit. Yeah, no, no, not at all. He ran over him. Question mark kick dropped him, took his back, held it for a couple of minutes until he was able to ultimately secure the choke. BC, the question for you, is Usman Nurmagomedov a top five lightweight? I think he's getting there, if not already. I mean, you know, if you're really asking me to answer that, the evidence says yes up to this point. The name, the lineage, the well-rounded ability. Look, it's such a – it's a problem when you come in being that big of a favorite. That That's – he was more of a favorite, Luke, than Valentina Shevchenko was for the Nico Montano flyweight title fight that never ended up happening, which was like the widest odds I've ever seen for a title competitive fight. I don't think these odds represented the true chances that Benson had, like you said. But when you have that much pressure against you to win and win dominantly, and then you break out a freaking question mark kick and drop one of the most durable guys in this division's history and then take your time setting him up and getting him out of there. Um, I mean, you know, Big John thought Benson was fine in that choke, Luke. Uh, I don't I don't know as much as he does, but I didn't think he was that fine. And then he tapped. <laughs> I mean, dude, what are you going to say about Usman? Like, I actually liked this matchmaking because Benson Anderson was on a nice little stretch. They're back in San Jose here. Like, you know, Scott Coker's MMA lineage and royalty and history there. Kung Lee Cage. So, like, I like this setup to open the tournament. And yet Usman came in and, and kind of showed that, yeah, he might be even better than we think he is right now at 24. Still only a handful of fights at this very elite level. 
I mean, what else can you say? Had he won a, a wide decision, we would have been like, okay, that's nice, you know, but what about this? Oh, he gave you this. I mean, one, dude, that kick is insane. The way he curved that in, I mean, I get that. I get I get that's the point of a question mark kick. But right. to do that early in a fight, not when somebody's staggering or tired, early in a fight to hit that, dude, this guy's sick. And, of course, he has the last name that tells you he can wrestle if he needs to. But unlike the rest of the Abdulmanap tree of fighters, Luke, he may be – I mean, I know some people say Umar is even better than all of them, better than Islam, better than Habib. We, we still got to let that play out. But damn, dude, Usman Nurmagomedov is nasty. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you, the, the the big test when someone's rising like this is, like you said, let, let, let's line up the five best in the world at this weight class. What are his chances in each one? They might differ, but his chances are pretty damn good, Luke, because he looks to be the absolute real deal. Yeah, two things about that victory I really just want to point out. To, to what you said, the question mark kick, he slipped on it but the setup was brilliant. He went to the body a couple of different times. Henderson thought he was going to get another one and he whips it around just so nimbly stunning a guy, as you mentioned, who was like legendary for his durability. And, you know, yes, big John got the call. <laughs> wasn't the best call, but up to that point, they were right that, you know, what has Benson Henderson showed great durability. That's true. I mean, in the Koreshkov fight alone, you saw that that was up at 170 and also great scrambling. You know, he's been very hard to put away, right? I mean, it's happened a little bit more recently. Obviously, Michael Chandler did it on his exit in Bellator, but you know, this is a guy who's very hard to kind of do those things too. But if there's a commonality between this and the Pettis win, what did you notice? He gets hurt first, then submitted. It's hard to just submit and take the, like from a positional standpoint it's hard to 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 finish off Benson Henderson you got to put a couple of different things together and Usman Nurmagomedov did that um I asked you if he was top five I'm going to read you the top six now if you got if you think Usman can beat one of these guys to me that's kind of you're on the bubble the question is can he beat two of them so you have Islam Makachev now you know they're never fight each other so it's hard to say and they're in different organizations obviously as all these guys are and their teammates so maybe he can't beat Islam but there's Charles Oliveira that's a maybe for me Dustin Poirier that's a maybe for me Gaethje, that's a yes for me. Benil Dariush, that's a maybe for me. And Michael Chandler, that's a yes for me. That's six yeah. names, but they kind of shuffle all in that space. Yeah, he might be top five. He might be top five just by looking well, at look, that. If he keeps going, and this tournament's got, got some very strong names in it. I mean, give Scott Coker and company a lot of credit. But if it ends up being him against A.J. McKee in the final, that, that'll truly show us just where he ranks in the world, you know, in terms of like, okay, you beat a guy that we consider to be pound for pound, you know, regardless of weight, one of the best on the planet. And that's AJ McKee moving up in weight class and establishing himself here at lightweight. That'll tell us more. But from what we know now, I think the way you laid it out, maybe might be, I mean, the thing is like, you just haven't seen him yet in full compromise mode, you know, to get knocked down, be, be down in a fight and have to battle back. But some guys, Luke, never get to that point because of how dynamic they are. So it's it's a lot of fun watching this guy. So heady, so poised for 24. It seems to have a little bit of everything from all the influences in his life, from Habib to Islam in his corner, the late Abdul Manap and the extended family there. Very special. Pro I mean, look, is it – talk Bellator pound for pound right now. I know you're not a voter in the Bellator rankings like myself and Shaquille Majuri are. But where do you think you would put Usman pound for pound under the Bellator banner? It's a little harder to say. I've never made a Bellator pound for pound list. Well, I mean, we're talking about it. AJ McKee, Patricio Pitbull. Pitbull. We're talking about Vadim Nemkov. You know, uh, I mean, he's 
he's, he's in discussion. Got, the, dude. Thing, the thing is, yeah, he's in discussion. The thing is, he's those guys have longer resumes, or at least longer resumes against more elite guys, and so you have to give that obviously Amasov as well. Amasov too. Yeah, I mean, they just got more experience against more top guys, but he's on his way. Also, one other thing I want to point out just about what he did. I mean. Just did you see the setup on the rear naked choke? The question mark kick is nice. This to me wasn't as nice, but pretty goddamn slick. With one hand, he has same side wrist control, right? So, so on this side, Benson doesn't have use of his wrists. From behind, Usman goes to the op. This is the head. Usman goes to the opposite side of the head and then pushes it over. What does that do? When the natural reaction, if you're getting pushed from behind, almost like you're getting like half or full Nelson, your reaction is to right your posture. You don't ever want to be off balance. But as he writes it into the back, Usman just pops the hand over immediately, pops the arm over. And now, remember, there's nothing defending on this side because Usman already had the rear naked, oh, excuse me, the, the wrist control. So he just slides it through and then locks it up all day long. A brilliant finish yeah. from the back. Just, I mean, this guy has tools for days in so many different positions. So even if he's not five, BC, I am very comfortable. And saying he's top 10. I don't have any problem oh, saying yeah. that. And yeah. he is on his way, ladies and gentlemen. Look, that's one of the better, that's one of the better signings of late from, from Scott Coker and Bellator. No you gotta give him a lot it. of credit. No doubt they've about discovered, it. They've discovered, you know, they've discovered a lot of breakthrough fighters of late from Nemkov to Amasov, who they brought in. But you know, obviously AJ McKee was homegrown, and there's a few other guys we're excited about. But like Usman may end up being, you know, the 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 you may end up being that dude. You may end up being that guy who becomes the absolute face of your organization because of exactly what we're saying on a worldwide level. You know, he's he's closing it. He's coming. He's coming down that road to potentially being best in show. And God, how consistently deep and dominant is 155 pounds? So it's saying a lot about what Bellator has here. Also, I'll give credit to Bellator on the matchmaking. This was smart matchmaking. Yes, in one sense, you're like, well, yeah, it's smart because. It, you know, the odds makers considered it a squash match, but it's more important than that. We thought that the odds were a little bit unfair. Um, and again, do I think that's the best that Benson Henderson could do? No. But of course, the version he turned in was, the, you know, it's the only shot you get. We have to judge it on what it is. But to the point, it's like, let's put him in the tournament where, I mean, like we have March Madness coming up, right? 16 versus one. It kind of felt like that. It kind of felt like Duke versus somebody who was enough to get to the dance, but probably not going to go very far. That's how a tournament should start, just sort of a natural order of things. And more to that point, setting him up against a name in Benson Henderson for visibility for his wins, I think is pretty crucial. We had, obviously, Alex, Alexander Shabley, or Shabley, and we had Tufik Musayev, which was a tough fight, really tough fight. But the winner of that's not going to get a, a ton of name value out of it. Now, Usman Nurmagomedov gets a lot from this win, uh, not just because he was the main event, obviously, but for all the reasons aforementioned. A great, great win. For Usman Nurmagomedov, BC, really, really excited to see uh, his next step in this tournament. Cannot wait. Hey, look, as I chew this fruit snack, which is probably a bad idea on camera. You yeah, know, eating, eating on air is what they stuff. always recommend to do at broadcasting school. But I did it because, you know, it's going to bring out my eggs and you're going to get all, you know, that's cool. But somebody DM me and was like, look, BC, I love the egg shen joke, but they sent me the origin of that actor and the fact that he had Bell's palsy, and that's why he he had to save the Guaylo in that way, Luke. But um, I hope if that you makes think you that's feel... going to get me out of not calling you egg shen. You're very wrong. I mean, it's a it's a tick, it's a tell, Luke. You know, I get really excited that things starts going. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. Um... The thing is, you don't have Bell's palsy. You're just you're just a mongrel. Well, you know, 
you always wonder growing up when you drink the tap water as aggressively as I did, Luke, not just in my hometown, but wherever I go, you know, what is there a price to pay for that? Uh, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I, again, uh, we'll see how it goes in the next stage of the tournament, BC. Now, speaking of Benson Henderson, let's go to topic number two here. Benson Henderson retired following this loss. He had basically said there was a, a, a demand he had put on himself about um, the, the last four fights on the contract he had, and they had to go a certain way for him to keep going, and they didn't. So he called it a day. BC, he had quite the run in mixed martial arts. In fact, our friend Sean El Shadi over at MMA Fighting, who, of course, uh, has been covering Benson's career in a more noted way, given their uh, both proximity of being in Arizona, he put together a list of all the things that Benson Henderson had done. Ready for this? Here's his hit list yeah. after 17 years in the game. He beat Cerrone twice. He beat Nate Diaz right before a uh, title shot on Fox. He beat Frankie Edgar twice. Jorge Masvidal, Patricio Pitbull, although that one's a little dicey. Uh, yeah, Gilbert counts, Melendez. So it does count. Yeah, it, it does count. Gilbert Melendez, Josh, oh, that was a close fight too. Josh Thompson, Clay Guida, and Jim Miller was a WEC champ and a UFC champ. BC, surely you would agree. Benson Henderson is one of the best lightweights in MMA history. Yeah, and in, in, in that yeah, I like when you break down the resume like the way you did because it's like he's all he's become one of the sneaky best, and it's not by disappearing from the sport. I mean, look, going from UFC to Bellator as a big name free agent at the time that he did, where he still had something to give. I mean, he ended up fighting for the title three different times in Bellator in two different weight classes overall. He never went away, but I think because he had lasted so long, you sometimes forget how great he was at the peak of his powers and Luke at the peak of his powers for this division lightweight. Although of course he did go up to welterweight at times. So durable, you know, ahead of the game in some aspects, the attention to detail on the calf kicking attacks and that kind of stuff. Big for the weight class was in such memorable fights. Uh, you know, of course he ate the showtime kick, but like was in such great memorable fights through that run that when we talk about the greatest lightweight, because Habib had just kicked that door open and went on the run he did, and you're like, oh, is it Habib? Is it BJ Penn? What are we doing here? Even when we try to make those ra those rankings real quick, Luke, we tend to forget about Benson. And um, to be able to still be at this level at 39 in a $1 million tournament with a major promotion and fighting for a world title shows you that other side of legacies that we don't always talk about. Like, everybody's got a peak. Everybody's got a prime. Sometimes you can extend it later than others. Sometimes you can resurrect it and have another twilight. I give a lot of credit, though, to those guys who already did big things with Benson, which Benson did, but never gave up and stayed at it. And look, he kept at a very high level. I mean, even if he lost these these big step up fights in the second half of his career, you know, he was in those. He was durable. He was tough. Um, a very special career that I, it's weird. Like, it's kind of like it's a whole hum nature in a way because he's so quiet and reserved. and He's never been a big flashy interview. So, again, sometimes you can forget about what he did. But. Please don't. Please go back and watch. I mean, look, remember those two Edgar fights? Remember that one title fight they had in China? I think it was like sneaky, great fight. I mean, he's been in some great ones. And um, I hope that that he's receiving those flowers. I know he's going to focus now on his wife's career. And that's a cool family story there. But I hope I hope those bouquets showed up at his front door. Look, he deserves it. All right. I'm a, you know, if I only had a toothpick here, I would I would do the full tribute. I really would. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's no doubt he's one of the best lightweights in MMA history and even some of the wins I didn't mention for example he had wins over Anthony Njokawani in WEC he had a win over Shane Roller Shane Roller I think was a multiple time all-american out of Oklahoma state part of the initial with him and uh Johnny Hendrickson and I think some other guys 
they were part of Team Takedown. There were these guys who were trying to sign all the best collegiate wrestlers who weren't going to go on to freestyle and turn them to MMA fighters. Some of them worked out, some didn't. Shane Roller ultimately, I don't think, had the best career, but was a very difficult fight, certainly in, in 2009. And he whooped up over him, then beat Cerrone, then beat Jamie Varner, then beat, by the way, loses, you mentioned the Showtime kick, loses that, goes to UFC as everyone migrated over. First fight he gets in UFC was the very talented Mark Bocek, one of the best Canadian grapplers, certainly at that time, a black belt, very well respected. And Benson Henderson beat him. Then he beat Jim Miller, as we mentioned. Then he beat Clay Guida. Then Frankie Edgar twice. Frankie Edgar twice, back-to-back. Then Nate Diaz. Then oh, that was Melendez. Japan. First Edgar fight, Japan, not China. Japan, same yeah. meaning, though. Same meaning. But, yeah. but he, yeah. But here is the issue with that he runs up against. It's not – I mean, and again, I'm not even mentioning the fact that he beat Rustam Habilov as well. Like, he beat really good fighters, Miles Jury, so forth. The issue is that the biggest wins that he has, certainly the second Edgar fight and definitely the Melendez fight, uh, they were real close. And those are not the only ones that are real close. The Patricky fight that was weird, where he got the nod over, over the injury. Um, there's been a even the how about this the Masvidal fight. There's just been a lot of fights where the audience watching, at a bare minimum, had a very disputed version of what had happened, and I think that ended up coloring the perspective on how dominant or good he was. But in the end, when you can collect that many scalps, when you can do it for as long as he did and remain as competitive for as long as he did. There's just no denying this is a very special fighter. Whether he'll go into the UFC Hall of Fame, I don't know. That's that's a completely separate question. He certainly deserves to be remembered for his success in this weight class. And even, even his B-tier wins, BC, are very, very solid oh, B-tier wins. I mean, how would you describe it in a sense? He's like the sum of the parts type of fighter. Like, look, did he have one dominant skill? I mean, you know, there wasn't a, an overly ton of finishes. There's a lot of strong decision wins. He's got a lot of cage time, but it was because he had a fairly damn well-rounded game across the board and was very stubborn in some of those defensive categories to prevent people from taking over. But it wasn't like he was known particularly for one thing. He was just a, a damn great mixed martial artist. He was, and he was aggressive, but I think it's the series of decisions from Pettis uh, the Pettis loss all the way to the uh, in between the Pettis fights, he had nothing but decision. So he decision Bocek, decision Miller, decision Guida, decision Edgar, decision Edgar, decision Nate Diaz, decision Melendez, and he gets finished by Anthony Pettis. There, and I think that I think played a role because to your point, like what was his ace in the hole? To me, he was hard to hurt, as we mentioned, great scrambler, very hard to choke. Just guys would go for chokes on him and couldn't get it, relentless pace. Uh, I would say the one thing he kind of developed, you mentioned the calf kick, his kicking game kind of brought some new dynamism. Remember, he had a Taekwondo background. That was a big part of what he did. So he just brought in some dynamism in that way. But he was much more a jack of all trades than a master of some. Uh, yeah. And I think that it was just overall, he played the levels really well. Again, another thing, like Khabib had like dominant wrestling or you guys see like dominant strikers or dominant punchers. He never had exactly that. But the full tool belt, the the Batman belt around his around his waist there was it was very difficult to deal with in the time in which he competed in the aughts or excuse me the, and the he, always, he always had a great motor too it was always in shape you gotta yep. be if you're gonna go five rounds with all these killers yeah uh didn't have didn't i mean the problem was like the fights he had in terms of like rivals people think he lost either one or both the edgar fights he never had a rematch against melendez he lost both pettis fights he never had like that trilogy that lifted him and in terms of a narrative he was just always kind of that guy, that thorn in the side of the division rather than the accepted king. There was just a lot of dispute. Well, he did at have the, time. the trilogy with, with Cowboy. It was just that he had won the first two. 
So it was sort of like, oh, we're doing it a third time. Oh, okay. right, right, right. Yeah, fair. Well, actually, well, he fought Cerrone in uh, 2009 and then twice in WEC. And then, yes, they had the loss to him at the end there. That's right. I apologize in 2015. Still, you know, that fight kind of sucked too. Although he rebounded from that against Brandon Thatch. I mean, that was kind of amazing as well. Yeah, well, Thatch, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Thatch was supposed to be like the next big thing. And then old Benson whooped up on him and then beat Masvidal. Then fight tries to fight Koreshkov at 170. That got him a bit of trouble, but certainly daring to be great the entire time too. And by the way, just looking at his fights here, never had, ne never ducked a difficult challenge ever, 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 ever. Always okay, signed we, up for the toughest assignments. Here's the hard question. When I say Mount Rushmore, you know that means four spots. Is he on the Mount Rushmore of either lightweight MMA history or WEC history, or none of either, but hey, great career. I think he might be on WEC. So WEC, you would have who? You would have Pettis. Faber. Faber. Aldo. Aldo. Faber, Pettis, Aldo. I mean, uh, yeah, that's where you go. Do you go cowboy? But he didn't win the belt, right? I mean, you right. can go and, Mike and Thomas Brown, and, but it, and, and it wasn't did. sustained. Uh, yeah. Um, Pettis, yeah, Pettis has to be on there, dude. He's yeah, yeah. Be. Pettis, DJ, Aldo, Favor, maybe that. Pettis, DJ, Mikey Aldo, offering Favre. Miguel Torres and Henan Barral. Mm. or Dom Cruz, or Dom Cruz, but you know he did he Dom Cruz. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he yeah. may not be on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's. This is what I mean. Like, you can't knock the resume. Very, very respectable. Very high achiever. But I think there are a couple of things. Either the, the nature of the wins themselves, um, or again, that the, the game you speak to. It's really well rounded, but not super specific in one kind of way. I think that holds him back just a little bit. But a very, very, very successful MMA career and. I don't know what kind of money he made, BC, but I hope it's enough. Do you have a history enough. interviewing him, Luke? I mean, he was never like overly, you know, expressive. No, not so much. I've, I think I interviewed him a couple times early in his WEC UFC run. And, you know, I, don't, I mean, this idea where we have to like interview fighters, the, the same guys every single year, it really never made sense to me. So I haven't really spoken to him in a long time. But, you know, I got a lot of respect for what he was able to pull off. And it's clearly a thoughtful guy. Clearly, a guy. By the way, remember he was going to like all these jujitsu tournaments to challenge himself in the middle of his UFC career, just because he wanted to like get competition and get better. Just always ran into the fire, never around it. Right, always right through yeah. the middle. And you got it. You got to really take your hat off to him for a guy like that. As uh, much as it's weird that he fought with a toothpick in his mouth, do you know that Hulk Hogan in his prime would wrestle with a razor blade in his mouth? Because you know they use the razor blade to 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 cut, to blade, Luke, to, to produce blood. And normally they keep it under the tape on their wrists. Dude, Hogan used to put that in his mouth and wrestle with it. How weird is that? Yeah, well, Hulk Hogan, you know, also banged love with the, love with the love sponge's wife. I mean, we're just, you know. Yeah, okay. That, I mean, that was the worst <laughs> of his of his movies. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep, he, uh, from what I understand, um, not the most racially progressive guy. <laughs> All right, there we go. There we go. Yeah, I mean, from it's what true, I've heard, happened. from what I've, I've heard, heard the tape. Yeah, I've heard yeah, the don't tape. Don't sue me, true. Peter Thiel. I don't have that much money. Yeah. Uh, all right, yeah. BC, let's go to point number three here if we can in today's show. Let's get to the UFC action on Saturday. Marab, oh, yeah, dude. How good was how good was this breakthrough moment here? Wow, yeah. Wow. So, you and I have kind of been on the fence about Marab. We had always known, and this was obvious to everyone, that he had just had the sickest cardio. And by the way, I'm just going to say it. 
he's got the best cardio in MMA. Period. Like I, yeah. there's no one quite like him. Uh, independent of weight class, independent of organization, nobody has a motor. Did you like see that video? Uh, to cut you off, did you see that video of him at a pool where it was this really, really long pool? It was, uh, it was indoors somewhere, and he jumped in one end of it, Luke, and swam the entire distance at insanely fast speed, and then got out and was like flexing. But like, it's a distance that even elite athletes would be like, you know. It was like multiple pools connected together. I mean, the guy's just got sick, sick endurance. And Yeah, he's got a cardiovascular conditioning that is historically rare. You're just not going to see guys like this very often. So anyway, he beats Jan. I'm not going to say easily, BC, but in terms of the scorecards, he basically blanked him. He blanked him. Yeah. Okay, in your mind. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with Aljo. We'll talk about it in a second. In your mind. Is there any doubt he's the number one contender at 135 pounds? Well, yeah, there is some doubt because the division okay. is insanely deep, as we know. It's been bottlenecked at the top consistently because of different reasons. Aljo being hurt, the DQ changing of hands of the title, a lot of that. And it's still kind of weird right now that Sugar Sean O'Malley, after beating the same guy, Piotr Jan, was allowed to cut the class, get the number one contender spot, but then didn't get the title shot isn't fighting anyone as of right now for an interim title shot, right? You could easily do the, the rematch against, uh, against Cheeto and they didn't do that. So does Marab deserve to jump ahead of that? Well, can't you argue that even though he didn't do it as dynamically or as one-sidedly O'Malley just beat that same guy either way, Luke, the, 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 the real thing here is even separate from the talk about the relationship between him and Aljo, which I get, get is a big part of this. Yeah, what this this was an absolute breakthrough moment in his career because we did have questions about the striking. The striking isn't completely there on the same level of what he does, but the way he's able to utilize the head movement and with that insane pace and the fact that when he does connect, those are some big shots. He really loads up on those right hands. He's right in this mix. If he's not getting the next title shot in the winner of um, Aljo going against uh, Henry Cejudo, and obviously, again, there's relationship issues there, there's some monster fights for him. You can see him. I mean, look, what if he fought Sugar Sean O'Malley for the interim title next? What if he fought Cheeto Vera? What if he fought anybody? He's at, at most, he's going to have to fight one more before the title. But that's the type of breakthrough performance that if this was any other division at any other time, you'd be, you know, finding out his belt size right now to get ready for this title bout because he jumped through our screen. He took on a guy in Yan who, yeah, had the weirdest stretch of three losses and four fights for an elite fighter that we've seen in some time. Yet from the very beginning, he dragged him into deep waters. And even though Yan, we know Yan's heart and his spirit, and he fought back and he tried, he landed some big shots at times. But Luke, he was coming from behind the entire fight after the big moments in the first round, just completely overwhelmed by this pace, not enough to break him, not enough for him to get stopped and exposed fully. But once again, you know, Jan goes into a huge fight against a huge contender here. And this time he came up empty again. And dude, it's because Marab is leaping through your screen with confidence and the ability to mix that whole game together. Um, you know, he's like Habib to a certain standpoint, you, he may never need to fully figure out the striking. Habib made his own striking work for him in relation to the threat of his ground game and how just incredibly smart he was. Marab, like, the striking's good enough right now, Luke. He can win a championship tomorrow if he got the chance. So what a freaking performance. And before I throw it back to you, 
I know they were only at the Virgin Hotels Las Vegas because of the stupid uh, dick slapping thing over at the Apex, Luke, on uh, brought to you by Rumble TV, whatever that is, Luke. But I will tell you this, um, him, and we've seen that venue before, the old Hard Rock. We've seen it for years in UFC, boxing, all that. The fighters essentially come in like through the crowd almost to get to the cage. Marab stopping and high-fiving everybody. That small crowd was filled with Georgian flags. That was a environment and he seemed to thrive on that and it seemed to boo buoy him buoy boy him buoy him luke we haven't figured out how to say that word have we no we have it's buoy okay he had seemed to it seemed to buoy him to an altogether next level and when you look back at the run in the consecutive win streak it's like okay he almost got stopped against marais and had to had to show superhuman effort but outside of that dude he's getting a lot better every single fight and not getting banged around a lot outside of that Marais fight. Yeah, so I don't know if this stat I'm about to tell you is still in play as the there's only three guys in it, him now adding himself to it. But a few years ago, I was talking with the fight metric guys, and they were telling me, but this, again, this, there may be more at this point, but this was a few years ago. They were saying that there's two guys to this point that have, in a single UFC fight, scored at least 100 significant strikes and 10 takedowns in the same fight. One was Cain Velasquez. One was Cain Velasquez, one was Usman Nurm excuse me, one was Kamaru Usman. I apologize. Uh, you can now add Marab to the list. Marab in this fight, listen to this fucking stat line. This is insane. Okay, ready? He attempted 401 strikes, landing 202, of which 147 were significant. He attempted, and I can't believe I'm looking at this, 49 takedowns in this fight you're like well he only got 11 of them big fucking deal he got 11 of them 11 takedowns 147 significant strikes six minutes and 53 seconds of control time that is insane bonkers yeah. bonkers level of output bc he first of all we should say something Marab's striking to me looked the best it's ever looked. Now, some By of it far. he landed, a lot of he didn't, but he looks like he is improving his technical refinement, and I want to be very clear about that. On the other hand, I don't know how much he needs to refine it. If he can spam this much volume at guys, dude, Jan did not have bad cardio in this fight. Jan didn't look pathetic in this fight at all. He was a worthy adversary. Nobody can stand up to this kind of volume either you hurt and put marab away or it is fucking curtains for you over okay. the long haul it's brilliant the way you just said that because that's exactly here's how smart that team is now look marab's showing us he's got a hell of an iq but obviously co credit coach longo matt sarah and the crew over there the way that they looked at jan and said okay late starter right takes time to figure it out thrives down the stretch of the championship rounds it's been like peyote on superpower in some of his biggest wins you know san hagen on and on they they jumped out with such a quick pace on him early that they put him into that fight or flight mode I mentioned that he never properly recovered from. So like automatically that put him in such a big advantage. And to your point, unless you're going to stand in there and finish him, Marais went ham in that first round and tried. Jan never truly committed because I think he was already facing an uphill battle cardio-wise with how wild the start was for him. But he never really bit down and said, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pour out the jug right now and see if I can finish you." Obviously, because if you don't, 
Marab's going to run you over. But the difference between Marab and anybody else who spams takedowns, and you know, the, the, the perfect image I have that is Damian Maya in defeat against Tyron Woodley. Remember, it's just like constant, constant takedown. The difference is, is that Marab doesn't always need to do the takedown. He, he look, he's so smart. He gets up in your grill, but it's the constant fakes and feints, which are nonstop. He's just waiting for that little slight opening where he's either coming over the top with the big right hand, he's surprising you with a calf kick, or he's shooting in for those single leg takedowns. And the way they described in the broadcast, what that does, always going for single legs instead of double leg, keeping the opponent off balance. He's just like, you see those stats. You see how he just destroyed Cain Velasquez's record for most attempts for takedowns in a single fight. But it wasn't this reckless you know, stubborn Damian Mile level. It was constantly reading what's in front of him, making the other person show their tell and then respond to it. I don't think we give him and his team enough credit for how smart they are, Luke. And the 25 minutes showed us or exactly what he's operating with up here, which means it's not just, okay, you know, is O'Malley a potential kryptonite because he's such a sharpshooter and he can pick him apart coming in. Well, you better finish him if you're going to pick him apart coming in because he's going to take a chunk of your stamina in the craziness that he lures you into. I don't really know what is the right style to counter this. What does it look like, Luke, when he goes up against a super elite wrestler? He can take the risk of gassing them out just through the, the constant attempts of taking them down. I mean, right. it is a superpower, but I think to your and my point about the striking – at least he's got a powerful right hand. There were moments where, where it looked like Jan might start getting back into the fight where when he got too close, Marab really popped him with one that, that, that reminded him like, I'm not only going to be up your ass this whole fight, I'm going to be on you. But if you, you know, if you, if you take too many chances, I can get you out of here. And I didn't, I didn't see this coming. I saw a guy who's always going to be kind of a wild card of Marab with some of the elite skills that he has. But now that he's putting it all together and making it work in one flow state, and now that the commitment to those those constant fakes are just making him so hard to pick up, this is going to be an interesting puzzle for the most elite coaches and fighters in this division to really study that tape and figure out how to constantly either get him off rhythm or or meet him in his tracks with something big that makes him think twice. But Jan can do that, Luke. Piotr Jan can knock you the F out. He couldn't slow this guy down at all. He couldn't. And again, the only way you're going to stop him is you, it's, you know what, you know, who'd be a tough matchup for him. If there was someone in the weight class like this, I actually think a Yair Rodriguez would be like a tough fight. Now, again, one's bantamweight, one's feather. That's never going to happen. But what I mean is what do we say about a guy like Rodriguez? Great body attacks, by the way, and at range, but he just has attacks everywhere. So many guys spend so much time defending. I'm going to grab the wrist. I'm going to wizard. I'm going to, you know, turn my hips, I'm going to have my guard up, whatever. I'm going to defend this onslaught. You almost have to just eat it and then fire back constantly because unless he gets hurt in some kind of meaningful way, a big, big cut, his knee is injured or ankle or his you know body hurts for some reason, unless he is meaningfully hurt, I, I don't know if he's at this stage of his career, I don't know if he's stoppable. I, I, I He will just yeah. keep going. In this, and I mean, I he showed one... tremendous heart against Marais, like stupid level heart, right? Just he sure just... did, and that's, that's the other part too. Like he's he's not. I, I want to read this. I, I I'm, I'm making it out to be like you know he's just a volume guy, but BC, listen to his career stats to this point, right? Because he's not only putting out a ton of volume, he's depressing what other guys can do by virtue of the volume. In some ways, his best off his best defense, excuse me, is his offense, just because it's smothering. But his strikes landed per minute, four point four six. That's very good. Stri uh, strikes absorb per minute 2.41 that's below average for a ranked fighter that's good 
right? The lower your golf score, the better. That's what that is. He has a, he does not, he gets hit half as often as he hits. I can tell you there's a lot of ranked fighters that are not that way. And how about this, BC? Takedowns per 15 minutes, 6.55, an astronomically high number. Even good grapplers are usually sub two per Damn. 15. He's nearly at seven per 15 minutes. Dude, what the fuck are you going to do with that guy? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> uh, look, before we get into what should be next in the future of him and him and Aljo being best friends, when we do talk about what we're talking about right now, like who's going to, who can, who can figure this out? O'Malley's an interesting matchup because of the sharpshooting nature, but obviously Marab could be monster kryptonite for him and just, just, you know, take him down, drag out the cardio. I do wonder if Cheeto Vera with the extreme violence can, can either discipline Marab's output to a certain degree or like cut him, chop him open, do something that really tries to prevent that downhill motion. What about Umar Namargamedov, who's not currently in the top 10, but he's coming on, Luke. That's another guy with such a unique, well-rounded game that you're like, well, well, let me let me hold judgment, you know, get what he'd look like against him until we get there and see it. But those three ideas in mind of who could look good against him, I want to know your opinion here. If you're if you're Sean Shelby, what do you do next? Because O'Malley does not have a fight. I don't think Cheeto Vera has a fight. I thought he was recovering from injury. Uh, where are we going isn't, here? Because Aljo's got Cejudo next. No, Cheeto's yep. fighting Sanhagen, right? Oh, you're right. So let's let's get let's update that. I'm sorry about that. So we don't know about O'Malley, Cheeto fighting Sanhagen, and Aljo's got Cejudo. Now Aljo and and Marab are not going to fight, and you know I respect that, Luke. Unless unless Marab beats everybody, and Aljo's still the champion, then we change that conversation. But if, for right now, there are enough matchups, in my opinion, Luke where he doesn't necessarily need the title shot. Where are you going? Which direction here? Well, I've seen people being like, oh, there's no way Marab and uh, Aljo will fight. Well, if I had to bet, I would bet that they would, in fact, not fight. Uh, however, you know, I have lived through long enough of combat sports to see many times teammates uh, say we're never going to fight, and then later on they actually find a way to, in fact, fight. So while I, while I appreciate that they don't want it, and I suspect they will resist it, for example, Koscheck and Fitch never fought. There was a lot of pressure on those guys to face one another when they were at the same time, and AKA, they never did. Okay, but I've also seen the opposite happen a lot. So if it doesn't happen, I think you can go, uh, well, let's just back up a step. If if Henry Cejudo wins, I don't think they're gonna give Aljo an immediate rematch. I just have a feeling right. that they're not gonna go that direction, right? Even if he ekes one out. So that you could do, you could go give him the title shot after that. That's one thing you could do. They leave Sean O'Malley. The only issue is, BC, Umar Nurmagomedov, I'm not saying your point is not well taken because I agree with you. In fact, Umar is a sniper, and I think a guy like that could be a real problem for a guy like Marab, but he's only sitting at 11. Yep. He's only sitting at 11. Ricky Simone, who's done great work, is sitting at 10. You got Song Yadong at 8, Rob Fawn at 6. Obviously, Marlon and Corey are going to fight each other sitting at 4 and 5. So it creates a real interesting problem. Marab's going to have to sit out, I think, honestly, if they... Um, dude, you're, what about Sean O'Malley? Why is he not fighting? Sean O'Malley, dude. No, That's aren't the they fight. Gonna, okay, but if you're UFC, okay, let's just back up a step. Let's say you're Sean, uh, Sean uh, I almost said Al Shadi. You're Sean, what the fuck, Matt, the Shelby. Yeah. Henry beats Aljo. And let's say he does it triumphantly, right? You're going to want to make Henry versus Sean O'Malley, right? 
yes. The only way I think you get around that is with an interim title. And again, I don't like to advocate for the misuse of interim titles. And this would be a misuse. The champion is not injured or away or suspended or anything. But it allows you to present it as an absolute big legitimate moment. I mean, what about the idea? Like, because, you know, you again, like you said, you respect Aljo and Marab saying you're not going to fight each other. I agree with you that if Marab beat enough guys and Aljo decided not to move up and was beating enough guys, there would be a pisser, you know, get off the pot moment. But UFC could kind of F around and make that thing happen sooner than later by putting O'Malley against Marab for an interim title. That would, you know, go off a little bit after Aljo versus Henry happens. And if it just so happens that the two teammates survive in advance, then they got to make that decision. Luke, Aljo's got to move up in that instance. And then Marab will, be, Marab will just be fighting that next guy in line, maybe the winner of Sanhagen versus Cheeto. Um, I don't hate that idea, but I don't think you're going to get on board with it. What's, what, do you, what do you have against that interim title idea? Kind of fixes everything, even though I hate doing that. Problem is, you don't have. You would be doing that to accommodate guys in ways that the UFC doesn't have to. I mean, they never have to with the interim title, but in ways where they really don't have to here. But that's so all just, they do in modern history. It's all they do is accommodate that to fill out the marquee. You know that? That's what we do here. They might. I'm not okay. I'm not saying it's crazy. I'm not saying it's crazy. I don't think it's crazy. I think it's unlikely only because the champion is not in recess. That the title is moving, but they could. Uh, like alleviate the log jam i think is what you're trying to say right so yes because that would force this conversation if aljo and marab both won those difficult matchups then you'd go okay guys you're number one and two you're you you both have parts of the same championship aljo either go now or let's see how you know let's see if you guys want to figure this out okay that'd be yeah. a great way to fix this division but you know they don't let me match make too much Luke you know Sean no, and they Nick don't. they don't they don't I, I, you know. I wanted to uh I wanted to make one point if I may be see I saw something over the weekend uh because I didn't watch any of the fights live I, I decided to have a weekend with my family so I had to go back and watch everything later and I noticed something that uh was brought to my attention which was kind of interesting there's this uh I'll give it a shout out there's this Twitter account called MMA Wretch they do good work and basically he the he or she whoever it is ends up making a point which you kind of know but they show the details of how it's true Namely, Marab implemented very specific tactics, including some single legs and then forcing, uh, or I should say compelling anyway, Jan to use his high guard to block in order to get to certain positions, to get to the hips, to get to the leg, and then run the leg back to the fence. And this was causing a shit ton of problems for Jan. Why do I bring this up? Some of those things that Jan did or didn't he reacted in certain ways to Aljamain Sterling, and Aljamain didn't realize some of that in real time. But it's a five round fight; they fought twice. The second one went the full distance. You actually get a little bit more tape, and so here is a real big challenge for fighters who are championship level um, or former champs themselves. Once you get to that level, dude, there's so much tape on you, and you might have opponents that are teammates. That this is why it's so hard to maintain a title because we haven't talked about the fact that Jan won the title, lost it, and has gone one and three since then. To me, it's really not an accident. You're looking at Marab taking things that fighters, including his teammate, have learned over the course of Jan's UFC run, put a much more specific game plan together around very known recent weaknesses, or at least tendencies anyway. You can turn a tendency into a weakness, and they're using that against him. It's my opinion, BC, yes, champ champs are special. But to me, the hardest thing to do in MMA is to win a UFC title to begin with and then defend yeah. it over time. 
because sure. we just saw it with Valentina Shevchenko. Dude, there is tape on you. What did Grasso, Grasso, excuse me, do? She, they had planned for her to spin and jump the back. That only comes from years of having available tape. You don't know what the tendencies are with how she throws that and when she throws that until you fully studied it. it. Turns out she throws it often a little bit too close to her opponents, right? But you have to. There's time it takes to get all these details out of someone. Dude, Jan has gotten to a stage of his career where there's a lot of either known weaknesses or known tendencies that they can build weaknesses around, and it's really, really, really hard to undo that. I want to say it again, dude. Jan didn't look bad. He didn't look bad. Well, he just looked how much overwhelmed. You, Mikey just chimed in with the point that's similar to what you're just making, that you know, Coach Longo and company had, had game plan twice already for Jan against Aljo, so... They use that information wisely here, Luke, and then had a sort different. Of. Yeah, the answer is yes. That they, you, if you watch the first round of the first fight between Aljo and Jan, Aljo was just raining on him. You know what I mean? Like there was just nowhere to go. Yes, but different ways, different ways in which they were able to set up stuff. I thought, I think more educated ways. And again, dude, Aljo's got a great gas tank. He doesn't have a bad gas tank at all. But no one's got a Marab gas tank. And he can, yeah. he can, dude, 49 takedown attempts, 400 attempted strikes. That's fucking insane. Insane. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I, do you think they'll go back to Virgin Hotels because of how fun this was? Or do you think Dana didn't even watch the card? I don't think he even watched the card. You know, all right. I mean, dude, <laughs> didn't barely, you like anyway. that? Didn't you like that feeling of that fan interaction? Was that was I the only one getting high off that? So I like it, but I didn't like I mean, Also, if you're Jan, that small cage, I don't know how much he liked it. I don't know how much he yeah. liked that. That's a lot to deal with, you know? So now I guess it'd still be small on the apex, but we're talking about like wh what's a good place to put a fight? Maybe a place where you can have the full size cage. I don't know. It depends on your perspective. Hey, whatever Ad Zuck wants, Luke, he's going to get at the end of the day. You know that. Um, do you think Piotr Jan stays with the UFC? I don't know his contract situation, but when you lose four or five at the elite level, you know, that. You kind I mean, of here's, run out of guys. Yeah, yeah yes but, and no. Dude, that division's tough, so maybe he wants a break. Maybe he wants to go someplace else. But this is what I was thinking about, BC, in this whole thing, which is if you're Jan, you definitely need a reset, right? You definitely need a reset. It's time for a reset. But this is not Darren Till asking for a release for very different circumstances. Now, Till's had a lot of losses, I think more, five to this point. He's only at three. But – Till, to me, was regressing. I want to say it again. Jan did not look bad. He did not look bad. He did not look like a guy who can't beat good fighters or elite fighters, top five fighters. His last win was over Corey Sandhagen, who's still a top five fighter. But I do think it's time for a reset in the sense of let's get someone a little bit more manageable for a get-back win. And I think he's got to switch some stuff up. If guys are making game plans this specific – He's got yeah. to work on making some new setups and new changes or some changes in the way that he does things. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, two of those losses are split decisions. One of those was a DQ. Right. It's it's kind of hard, but we'll see where he's going here. I mean, it's I never thought I mean, this is this is what happens. This is the dark side of daring to be great. He's been very aggressive in his matchmaking after each defeat. Always wanted to get right back in line. You know, whatever it takes and fight that next guy. This division's so deep that, dude, this can actually happen. Um wild wild luke uh man damn i love this division think about this we get Sahudo kind of it's almost under the radar like i know we're talking about it or not really talking about it he's just parachuting into this already deep and amazing division at the moment when we have so many names who could be wearing this title uh what a time what a time that fight in that fight was so fun just that atmosphere 
I don't know, Luke. Uh, dude, Marab's coming on, and in in it's it's hard to say we should have saw it coming because sometimes it just goes full bloom at the right moment. That was that was the damn moment right there. There it is. Yeah, I mean, listen, Jan was the favorite, but barely. I think, I, dude, we all knew that Marab was a threat. What I didn't know was that he could put together such a. Here's the problem, right? Against Aldo, it felt a little. I don't know, one note. Like he just had yeah. one gear he could go to. This felt like he had a full plan and he engineered it and and worked it to perfection. He had a symphony going here. All the different all the different sections were flowing all at all at when the times that they needed to and it was balanced and efficient and yet still overwhelming. That was such a masterclass in how to weaponize cardio and volume against a very difficult again i want to say it again a very difficult opponent i he really i mean he had my respect before but he really has it now amazing yeah. performance amazing oh mikey just reminded me the reason why i brought up the idea of like jan leaving was he had threatened to leave the ufc in november when he due to the uh, judging due to the judging following but what, what, what can you say here this is fair judging bro you no, lost the, you know? no this was this is fair game he does have to go back to the drawing board i just don't know sometimes look sometimes if you that have many, many losses happen you're like i gotta leave this territory i gotta just go somewhere else you know yeah. regain my mojo win a title there and then maybe come back one day. We'll see. I mean, wouldn't look, be, Luke, if he, be the worst if, idea. he's still he's still in his 20s, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to see him in a trilogy bout with Magomed Magomedov. You? Uh, that wouldn't be the worst idea. I mean, he doesn't. You're saying he has to go to Bellator? Oh, he's 30. I'm not saying that. He's 30. I, just, he just I like, I like interesting matchups. When I put on the Randy Couture hat, I like interesting matchups, Luke. Okay. Right, and that's right, one of enough. them right there. I mean, I, listen, let me be clear about this. Going to Bellator actually could be a good idea. Although... Dude, Bellator's 135 division is not some fucking walk in the park, no, man. There's no. tough guys down there too. So, like, you know, yes, Patchy that would Mix be a will fire. take your soul. Hey, dude, speaking of that quickly, because Patchy Mix has that big fight with Rafion Stotts and Bellator for a million bucks. Did you hear on that broadcast over the weekend? And I'm sure DC and Felder got got uh, penalized for this through their ear hole, but they were bringing up Rafion Stotts and they were mentioning that Paul Felder used to train with him, and in because Stotts had that early loss to Marab, I believe. And they were saying, you know, Stotts hasn't lost since then. And then there was a pause. And then D Cormier is like, yo, is he still the champion in that other place? And I'm like, oh, the producers are going to hate this, dude. They're yeah. going to hate this. Although Dana's not, they're not as crazy as they used to be about stuff like that. No, somebody made crazy. him stop, dude, because Felder responded. Okay, quickly. Earlier in the broadcast, Felder and DC were responding back to their producer on the air. And then they finally were like, oh, sorry, guys. I was, you know, answering a question of the producer because the producer was giving them stats. This sounded like the producers were like, dude, stop talking about the other side. And that then Felder actually said, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And then it just awkwardly I mean, ended, don't get me but... wrong. The UFC still, every promotion wants to pretend it's North Korea and that any other promotion doesn't exist. So that's true more generally, although some are, you know, less hard up about it. But I would just say in general, like Rogan had a Bellator reference recently on air. You know, it, it's happened. It's happened. It used maybe, to be maybe like, because you couldn't Rafion... even acknowledge Elite XC. You couldn't even acknowledge the IFL. Now it's like, all right. Oh, I was hoping you would conspiracy it to the level because Stotts owns an MK bomber jacket that maybe, you know, they're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll say this. If you're if you're wondering if a producer was in his ear telling him to stop, you're probably right because you know how that yes. is too. But yeah. I'm just saying, like, they used to be, like, absolutely fucking insane bringing up anything else. Now it's not as big a deal. But, okay, neither here nor there. All right, PC. Uh, question number four. Let's make it a little more open-ended here. BC, who on the Bellator or UFC card this this uh, past weekend stood out for their strong performance? 
Dude, I'm glad I put my confidence back in him because I still do think Alexander Volkov has a sh- has shot at getting himself down the line into a title shot. I know he's looked at as either the worst of the best heavyweights or the most elite gatekeeper that this division has. And I do recognize that Alexander Romanov, just recently a monster prospect in this division, Luke, I don't know what happened. He fought like shit, and he came in at 264 and a half pounds, half pound shy of the limit, looking in extreme dad bod mode, like worse shape than he was in when he gassed out against Marcin Tibera and lost that majority decision, like visibly worse shape. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to overlook the potential of fool's gold here. But the reason why I'm so high on that performance from Volkov is, do you see the level of shape he came in? Did you hear the, the pre-fight interviews talking about how much he's dedicating to takedown defense and grappling, knowing that, look, like, look, he hit his ceiling a couple times over now where he looked like a possible threat and then couldn't get over the hump against Blades, although he fought well, right? Couldn't get over the hump and um, Aspinall subs him out. And you're like, ah, oh, damn, man, maybe he never will. At 34, he has made that decision that we all get to at some point in our career of, if I don't give every single thing I have, it's not going to happen. I think he's doing that right now, but dude, can I get your answer? What the hell happened to Romanoff? Because that's about as damaging a two fight stretch after you were like hungry, hungry hippoing everyone before that dude, he could yeah. be in trouble here. Yeah. He has shaken my confidence in him big time. He had some potential to your point. He, to your point, he had a better physique, much less fat on him in a contest where he still gassed. And then this one, as you indicated, he came in. He had to cut to make 265. Like he was, I think 264 and a half was where he weighed in at specifically. It's like, dude, what, what is going on with your decision making where you think this is a good idea or not that costly? You cannot fight guys like Alexander Volkov half-assed or marginally or somewhat prepared and really expect to win. You're like, oh, well, John Jones d- did that. Right. John Jones did that. You are not John yeah. Jones. Right. I mean, you got to be. You have to understand that there are very special guys and you can like them or hate them, but they are special and they're going to get away with shit. That dude, that dude's not that he's just not that. And so the lack of the lack of, I mean, and now listen, if he was injured and took the fight because he needed money, that's one thing, you know, sure. maybe, but if he was just like, yeah, I could be bigger and it's not really a big deal. You're just, if that's the case, if, you're just not thinking clearly. You're well, not he thinking also rationally. was spamming takedown attempts to the level like he would not give up on that single leg. Luke, he was willing to run that so pipe. That for... tells that tells me that he didn't have cardio for later, and he knew it. Yeah, so he was. It was just. It was just get him down right away, or else, right? Because you're not gonna have you're not gonna have cardio in the end of round three or even the half back half of round two. Get it in now. And it didn't Luke, work, obviously. Uh, during the preview, when I teed up the idea of Volkov's back tad and your, you know, your updated take on it, you didn't seem that familiar in that moment. Uh, did you catch that when you rewatched it? Did you do you like what he's? I didn't really pay attention it to it. Do we have another shot at it? Mikey would would know that our fantastic producer, Mikey Mormile. Uh, he uh, does Mikey, not. do me do me a favor. We don't have to. Yeah, grab one later. We can take a look at it, Mikey. I don't know if you have it. I want to do uh, talk about my guy over the weekend, and I got to tell you, BC. <laughs> I thought I thought there's a chance Yamauchi might win. You know, I really did. And uh, who knows what would have happened in a different world, BC. But about 30 seconds into Yamauchi's fight with MVP, we learned he may never walk again is really what happened. Can we say something about MVP? We talked about a, what a great signing Usman Nurmagomedov is for Bellator. MVP, I think, was a slow win for them because we had talked about it early in his career 
you know, was not fighting the toughest guys, but he's now, now you could say he certainly is. And on top of that, you're just talking about a guy who just has insane viral wins. The win over Cyborg Santos is the one we talked to him about. Um, how about this one on top of it, BC? He shatters the kneecap or some shit of the right leg of a guy like Goichi Yamauchi with just his second or third kick of the fight Dude. and stops it. Dude, I don't know what to say about MVP. The guy is a born highlight machine. Sometime in very, sometimes I should say in very gruesome ways. Yeah. But wow, is he not? You mentioned Spike Carlisle is the best TV fighter. No, MVP is the best TV fighter. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Memorable performances all the time. As long as we can forgive him for that Paul Daly fight, then yes. Yeah, that, that, that one was... sucked. And then the Logan Storley fight sucked, but that was not necessarily his fault. But, but dude, the wins he's had have been spectacular at times. My favorite memory, though, that Paul Daly MVP fight was the next morning when I flew into uh, Hartford from L.A., Luke. I was out there for something, and uh, I ran into Morrow as he was about to get on the plane to fly home from the Mohegan Sun. And he had he was <laughs> it was like 4 a.m. and he was so angry still, like hung over in anger from that fight, not living up to the entertainment, you know, options no that, that it ultimately had. But no, MVP, that's a big one. Luke, they were jo big John teed him up about the potential. I know the ass kicking machine is ranked one higher than him. Jason Jackson, who has a fight coming up, and he was like, Do you want to fight the winner? I love the MVP. He's like, no, dude, I want to fight Amosov. Like, I'm ready for the belt now. Considering he lost that questionable split decision to Storley, and considering Storley just got blanked, right, when he lost to him it was for the interim title, dude, you got – it would be promotional malpractice not to do MVP versus Amosov next. Three and a half months from now, Luke, right? That's – do it. Do it. I agree. And also, do just it. gives you some – you know, this is why the bare-knuckle thing for him is was not the wisest idea, which he kind of conceded in retrospect. He wanted to take a fight because he wanted to stay busy, and Beltor wanted to accommodate him. Two thumbs up. That seems great. But that skill set is not his best. When he can move and use all of his limbs, knees, shins, whatever, elbows, he's just – he's hard to deal with. That's a that's – a, that's a gross-ass win. <laughs> But uh, it's a win just the same, man. Ridiculous. Look, I want to ask you quickly as we round out the the everything else in MMA from the weekend. We didn't talk much about that other lightweight Grand Prix bout for Bellator, the co-main event when Alexander Shabli or yeah, Shabli, what, I, whatever. Shabli uh, gets a third round TKO over Tofik Musayev, who came in with, you know, the bigger threat of power and he was the betting favorite. Dude, I don't I know if Shabley we have video. Was the betting favorite. Uh, really? I thought it was Musayev. All right, anyway. I'll double check. I'll double check. I'll double for check. what it's worth, Luke. So Shabley wins that fight. So that fight got, they almost got booed out of the building in round one. It was not a highly contained, it was very, you know, patient and poised. Once they started mixing it up, did you see the finishing strike when Shabley landed a beautiful front kick to the, to the body to almost the, you know, where the chest meets the stomach. But as the foot came down, the heel caught Musayev in the balls, Luke, and they stopped it. And you're like, okay, accidental foul. But when the ref finally cornered him and was like, uh, you know, can you continue? Do you want to continue? And he said, no, he lost by TKO. Is that legal? Like, I, so, so it is so, the body kick that hurt him. But, dude, he got he got tagged in the piece. I saw it. I guess the way it ultimately went down was that he has a choice to decide um, how much, uh, how, whether it was intentional or not. It certainly wasn't intentional. And then to what extent was he wincing in pain? from the actual shot and that this was incidental or how much was it directly from it which is just a judgment call from the referee 
I think he actually, in the end, made the right call. And the reason why is it turns out Musayev had broken ribs. That Ooh. shot that shot from Alexander Shabley broke his fucking ribs. Dude, I didn't know that. And that that is that makes that call perfect. Like right. that's, he, he, he actually nailed it. Because in real time, in, and then watching the replays right after, I'm like, how do you call that a loss? You know, like I, I yeah. get that he was more hurt to the body. But it's not like he didn't get caught. And every time somebody gets caught and the ref sees it, you stop the you stop the fight, right? You give him a chance. So is it so is the ruling that because it was also a clean strike before it that we'll give you the full five minutes? But the ruling is, I mean, obviously the ruling is they called it a TKO, but like that's the yeah. official thing. If you can't continue after five minutes, you lose. That's right. So basically they were gonna give him the five minutes for the nut shot but they were not suggesting that the nut shot was a fight ender. And if he couldn't continue, it must have been from the other strike. And therefore they called it off. And you're like, well, that, again, in real time, it seemed very questionable after the fact, it seems like the referee actually got it just right. In that yeah. So good job by him. Hey, by the way, no better by the way, real quickly, real quickly. Uh, Shabley was the favorite minus one fifty okay. to a plus one eighty. Very, very close. Take, very, very close. I'll take an early Friday dead wrong on that. Um, Luke, I, before we, we throw to Volkov's back tat, which we have, um, can I also have you comment on the Nikita Krylov Ryan Span fight, dude? Krylov is that all or nothing at times, and this was an all moment to get the sub, and he he allowed to advance here up the rankings, and still, even with the losses and the injuries and all that, dude, he's still a tough out. But I, my heart broke for something here for Ryan Spann. Not that he, because he lost or he fought horribly necessarily. Did you watch that video package before the fight at all, Luke? That mm -hmm. led up to it? I missed it. He basically admitted that most of his career, he doesn't train consistently. He doesn't train with a lot of effort. That the 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 motivation to train constantly comes and goes with him. And he has a lot of bad days where he's just not there mentally or, or you know, not there physically and just, and just going through the motions. And... I know this this fight was supposed to be the one where he kind of started to really put it together and care. And, you know, look, it was a wild fight for as long as it lasted and he got tapped out and that's what happens. But, you know, I, I almost wanted to like, you know, get his contact info and call him up and try to rile him up because, look, I think he does have really special talent. And I think if he goes all in and maxes this out, he's not done yet in this division. He's not done making noise. I mean, that's a tough loss at this time after watching that type of video, but you know, he's being perfectly honest with us and I respect that. But if that guy goes after it, he's got an interesting skill package, Luke. It's unrefined, right? But yeah, it is. It's unrefined. But I mean, here's the problem. It's like, dude, he does have ability and he's got a good coach. Great coach. I would argue a really great coach. Um, but dude, <laughs> If you're going to train part time, dude, you're going to get uh, just this is not a place to do that. Yeah. At all. At all. At all. Like, not just winning and losing, like, terrible shit can happen to you. If well, you he openly are... admitted in the video package that he has a lot of success early in fights and then he he's always fighting scared because he knows the, the gas tank's going to run out and then he can't do it. And he's like, if I could do that for the full time, I'd be something. You would be. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. this is, you're right. This sport's too dangerous to do it half-assed, but to see somebody right at this sort of pivotal crossroads in their career, you know, it's either going to go really bad or really good from him. I, I hope he, he, you know, looks in the mirror and, and says, look, I, I haven't given my best effort yet. Let's see what happens if I do, you know, I wish you well. really, it's, it's cliche and it's silly, but this is why some of those guys, you are kind of like good, but never great. Not that I'm saying that about spam, but like other guys I can think of who were good, but not great, but had like renaissances at 33, 34, even 35 mm -hmm. at times. But the, the thing that enabled him to do that is those guys 
just made training their life. They didn't, they, you know, w competing was almost not incidental. It certainly was a, a major part of it. But like, even when their career's over, they're going to train just about every day. That's just who they are. They'll dial it back a little bit, obviously, because they love it. They're married to it. They understand it. It's just part of breathing for them. If you don't have that, oof, it's you're gonna be you're gonna be in trouble against guys who do. Uh, it's yeah. just, it's, this is not a great place to have that kind of attitude, you know. Uh, not that I'm judging him for it, just for his own sake, you know. I also didn't want you to miss what Vin, what Linton Vassell oh, yes. did, and and I almost dismissed it because you know he lost to Moldovsky. I liked the streak he was on. I just didn't see this breaking out the way it did, and I got it wrong in our okay bet. But dude, five wins in a row. Um, yeah. Now knocking on Ryan Bader's door. Tell me about this win over. Let me. Over let me so on Friday we're gonna play the clip here, and I'll I'll set it up and let Mikey take it away. But just to set this up, I told you guys that I noticed something on tape with Litton Vassell. He he can have good wrestling. He has good top control, but sometimes he can get taken down. But he's using this trick called the sumigashi or sumigashi. I just say it really quickly, which is basically you take an inside hook and you kind of throw him past you out to the side, not overhead. You don't. It's not. It's not a. It's not a hook sweep. You don't. You're not. You know, going with them. It's, you, you can go on top and you can roll with them, but the way a lot of guys are using it, Volkanovski against Islam Makachev, is just to contest the takedown. And he used it. I showed you guys this on Friday on tape. Sure enough, he did it again this past Friday. Let's roll the tape. Clips for uh, Litton Vassell. There's something I want to show you. I don't know if we're going to be able to slow it down. He does something called Sumageshi. And by Watch, the way, I got the leg taken wrong, down here. Pay attention see. to the left leg right there. It's, the it's right hard to see. It's very hard to see. He uses his left leg right there, and it's called a sumigashi. This is exactly the same thing that Volkanovsky did to Islam uh, Makachev to win in a scramble. He uses his left leg on an inside hook here, right there, just to shuck him off to the side and then comes up on top. That's hard to do. That's all timing. It's just enough to create separation so he can rotate and come on top. He's crafty like that. This is Saturday. This is Friday. Look at him one more time. Right there is the Sumigashi hook. He's going to rotate him off to the side and stand just like that. He does it over and over again off to the side like that. You see that? Whoop! Moves him and it allows him. He doesn't just shuck him off and then sit there. He shucks him off and then turns his own hips and gets up right away. And it's a great way to either get the sweep or in this particular case, contest takedowns. Dude, that's a great thing for a big man to have in a heavyweight division like that. And, dude, you know, like he talked about it after the win with Big John, when he gets full mount on you, you know, or or, or when off, he gets yeah. you in a compromised top position, dude, he's a problem. He's a beast. Five wins in a row. And as I mentioned when we previewed this, that includes, like, stoppages of Sergey Karatinov, Hani Marks, Timothy Johnson, now Valentin Moldovsky. There was a split decision against a tough Tyrell Fortune in between that. Luke, he fought Ryan Bader for the light heavyweight title some six years ago and lost via second round TKO. He's a different fighter now. Bader is to some degree a little bit different fighter now. What are your hopes? What are your what are your beliefs here that that he's a viable heavyweight title threat here at Bellator? I still think he's got some problems because he's not as much of a natural wrestler as Bader, and this is the big difference. V Vassal is big and strong. I mean, you can see he's well muscled. I think Bader's quicker. Even at this advanced stage of his career, even at heavyweight, he's got a speed edge, I think, on Linton Vassell. And I think that will make a difference in the end. But, dude, you turn in performances like this, he polished him off. I think it was a right hook, left straight that dropped him. And, dude, once he gets on top, Vassell's control and ground and pound is terrifying. 
but I would yeah. still favor Bader to win. But dude, he's doing great. He's doing really great things. Absolutely. All right, can we see that Volkov back tattoo? Yeah, let's see that shit. Um, it's, it's aggressive, Luke. It's it used to bad. be something else under the helmet. It was a different design, and he just it was like a it was like a manta ray. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's pretty good. It's a lot. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Hey, Not Luke, I missed, but it's pretty good. I'm, you know, I always like to be honest with the audience. I mismanaged my fluid intake. I was very aggressive this morning. If you give me 45 seconds to make a deposit and you could tell people how excited you are about Jonathan Martinez having the breakthrough win of his career, you know, that, that would be good. I'll be right back. Thank you. Go ahead. I'm going to switch over to Tim Zoo though, so I'll just tee you up when you come back. All right. Let's talk about this right now. We talk about topic number five. We finish with some boxing. Tim Zoo over the weekend stopping Tony Harrison in the ninth round in Australia. By the way, they're saying, now I don't know this, we haven't confirmed this, but what we are told is, uh, that this fight might break the all-time boxing record for pay-per-views in Australia, for whatever that is worth. But Tim Zhu ends up stopping Tony Harrison in the ninth, dropped him, or at a bare minimum, hurt him really bad in the third. Want to get BC back so we could talk about some of these results. The question I'm going to ask him is, based on this performance, did his chances of victory against Jermel Charlo improve? Because obviously that one is now headed next. I'll say this, dude. Tim Zhu looked good <laughs> he looked real good he looks like he's got some pop he has very good ring craft and control and cutting off the ring in terms of just cornering guys um it looks to me like i wouldn't call him like a super 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 crazy hard puncher in the weight class but it looks to me like he's got some pop there were times where he was tagging tony and you could see tony's eyes get real wide and you know, it would the, the the pain would and the punishment was shocking him, uh, almost quite literally, and then uh, you know, mentally it was causing problems as well. But the other part too that I think we can't look past is I thought Tony Harrison looked a little old. I didn't think that was the best Tony Harrison we'd ever seen. Not much lateral movement, which he didn't need at first because his jab was pumping, but uh, it wasn't a great showing from him. So I don't want to take anything from Tim Zoo. He looked better here than he did in the Terrell Gaucher fight. And that's really all you really want. Like, did he look better fight over fight? The answer is yes. Much better, in fact, I would say. BC, where are you? How much of it was Tim Zhu looking great? How much of it was Tony Harrison look a little long in the tooth? Uh, you know, maybe 75-25 on that split in favor of Zoo. And, you know, I came in late, Luke, putting this air piece back in after this bad mismanagement of fluids. But it sounded like you were a little down to some degree on Tim Zoo. And I would have to say... No, 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 no. The, Quite the opposite. I'm high on him. I'm high on him. All right. Look, the adjustment he made from the Terrell Gaucher fight where he got into Terminator mode when he got dropped in the first round. And, you know, shout out Reggie Jackson for the appearance. But let's get serious, Luke. Um... I thought the adjustments he made were perfect, meaning you didn't see an overcommitment from Tim Zhu. It wasn't that wild caveman of walking into shots and just saying, look, I'm going to just penetrate this wall to the point where I'm going to eventually break you or outwork you like you did to Gaucher. This was intelligent middle distance fighting. And what that means and does is Zhu was allowed to sit down on his punches and particularly not spam with shots, although that you worked the jab pretty well but be a constant countering threat with heavy shots, but do it at such a close distance because he wasn't constantly spamming with the jab or whatever. He didn't allow any exits for Tony Harrison. So this was pinning a veteran fighter in Harrison, either to the corner or to the ropes, but not overly committing with his shots. And that was allowing him to keep Harrison in a disadvantageous position where he really couldn't get much leverage on his shots. Yes. Tony Harrison had that quick jab and there were certain, 
you know, old school tricks he does to kind of hang in that fight. But Zoo dominated him at that distance. And when he can start breaking you down and, you know, Luke, his commitment when he is a body puncher, he can be very, a, a lot of trouble to deal with. So I loved a lot of what he did. It was smart. And it was also, look, if you can't get me off of this spot this close to you, I'm going to load up with big time power shots, counter shots. And I, you know, I'm going to hurt you. And, you know, we knew the, the death star could explode. If, if Tim zoo could find that right button, you know, it's happened three times before to Tony Harrison, all in fights. He was winning by the way. And the only part ultimately about this performance that puzzles me to a certain degree, Luke is the scoring of the Australian judges having it 77, 75 zoo at the time of the stoppage when Steve Farhood on the broadcast, and by the way, great to see Steve back on camera for the first time in two years. Um, I think I had the same score you did and he did, which was basically, you know, seven, eight rounds to one, whatever it was in favor of zoo. It was sort of systematic domination. And, you know, he was vulnerable at times against Gaucher because it was too reckless, too gung ho too. I'm going to show you guys. This was the fight where he really showed us. Um, He's going to be a, he's going to be in this Charlo fight. Will you favor him betting wise? No, it'll be interesting to see how the experts have it split. And, you know, Jamar Charlo is still a very tough style for this version of zoo, but if this version of zoo can be as poised and patient and calculating as he was against Harrison here, um, this is going to be a good fight. If they do that this summer for all four world titles. Yeah. The Charlo fight is the interesting dynamic here for me, BC, because Charlo um, can be a guy who takes rounds off and whatnot, but I think he's going to be busier than Zoo. I think he punches as hard, if not harder than Zoo. And I think he, he he would not necessarily, you know, he's faced a Castaño type who was kind of in his face trying to pressure him, you know? So um, I don't know. I don't know about this one. I, I tend to think Charlo... Uh, I tend to think Charles is just a bad matchup for him, right? Is that a fair way to say it? Or is that? Yeah, because Charlo is so explosive as a counter puncher that, you know, you he, he'll change the entire tenor of the fight with one big shot. Tony was not able to do it. Look quickly on Tony. Okay. Cause we said, yeah, there you go. Thanks, Mike. Cause we said, you know, at times, Luke, uh, was this a little bit of him getting old to some degree? It probably was over the accumulation, but he never committed to power shots with that right hand, Luke. You know, the jab was there. It was quick. Right. He had educated jabs. You know, he'd split the guard with it. There's a lot you could like there. Why wasn't Harrison willing to go for broke? Do you think it was the, the danger of Zoo standing so close to him? Yeah, that and, you know, I, he, he had some time off in this last fight between this yeah. and his last one. And he just, you know, again, it's like, I'm not saying he's shot. I don't think he's fully shot. I don't think that's, I don't think that's right. But a hesitancy to throw back is in boxing is usually a bit of a bad sign about where they're at and where they're headed. So I agree. The jab was de the jab was good. Actually, the jab from Tony was good and there were opportunities to throw the right, but he just didn't feel confident in it. And I think part of that is he just didn't feel confident overall once he got yeah. really in there looking across from zoo, you know, Charlo's going to feel confident with that, even with the long layoff. Yeah. So That'll be something. Um, I don't know if Mikey's got a video playback here on the on the stoppage, but Luke, that was five consecutive right uppercuts from Zoo as Harrison was pinned against the ropes. He landed four of them flush and then hit a violent right cross as Harrison was almost turning his body completely away from the punch. He was in the most vulnerable state you could be. In fact, when you even turn your face 
you know, that much to the side, the referee can legally stop the fight. It basically means you're moving away from the, the, uh, you know, the violence coming at you. The ref not only did not stop the fight, he gave Harrison a chance to get to his feet. Would you call this stoppage uh, potentially dangerous or what? Did you see that? Yeah, it went on a little too long for my liking. They could have been, they could have let that one, excuse me, they could have interfered in that one much quicker. It seemed like they were just waiting. Sometimes these referees are like, well, he's still fighting back. And it's like, feels to me like you're just waiting for him to get a very clean, I'm up here, he's face first, and then that makes the job easy. It's like, and I get that they don't, sometimes you see a referee be like, I, you know, we don't want to be the ones to decide if we don't have to. But by letting it go, you are being the one who's, like you are deciding that it's going to look more like a massacre than it needs to. You you have the job to be the humane representative in this equation, and they just let it they just let it rock. So not not a great stoppage. In my, I mean, yes, Zoo fair winner, but not a great stoppage at all. No, right? No. All right. All so right. if we hey look, I think that there was some talk to the idea of Charlo being healthy July ish. Um, I know he was on he was you know announcer on the telecast uh, Saturday when they called that from the studios in New York, but. Uh, where do you think the odds will be? Where do you think they should be? How tough of a challenge coming off the Castaño two fights where, where Charlo made incredible adjustments in the second one. And to be fair, he may have lost that first one, right? Like legit. Um, but we saw him make the same adjustments against Tony Harrison in the rematch. So dude, Charlo's he's great. I mean, he's he is good, a great, yeah. he's, he's really a great, good. smart, powerful boxer, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say like a minus, Three hundred for Charlie. No, that's that's wide. Come on, that's a little so wide. Two fifty, two fifty. I like it in the twos. I think. All right, you uh, like it in the two? Yeah, yeah. okay. Two fifty, two fifty. I see what you did there. Douchebag. Yeah, I didn't really. Yeah, I mean, I mean like, you're just you're you a douchebag. Don't, don't think you're plausible not. deniability. Probably. Liz. Don't think probably. you're not. Don't think you're not. Um, okay. So anyway, that's our top five for the day. It's time now for when the. We put up social posts on Sunday. You guys fill them up. The producers pick questions, and then we answer them. It's time for DMs from the diggity donks. Go to it. Did you like Tim Zoo's, uh what's my motherfucking name? Like that? What the hell was he doing with that shit? The crowd liked it, but it was a little weird, right? I, I, all these things you talk about, because I, I didn't watch the fights live, I skipped all of it. I just watched oh, the fight. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. You watch with the volume down. I know how you do it, yeah. Uh, often, often I have well, to because, right, there's, at, because there's aggressive music being played in your house. Tuki's living her best life at all times, and I'm I'm here for that. I'm definitely. Yeah, I gotta tell you, the Princess and the Frog soundtrack very underrated, very <laughs> underrated. We've been listening to a lot of Princess and the Frog soundtrack around here. Is that right. the new obsession post Bruno? Yeah, yeah, for okay. sure. That's her favorite movie right now. It's not a new movie. It's been out for I don't know five or so years, but uh, yeah, yeah, she loves it. Yeah. All right. From at z.frm.esp, is Jan kneeing Sterling in the head one of the most career-altering decisions in a fight? Boy, it's up there, BC. Because if yeah. you think about it and you go back to the first fight, if he doesn't do that, it looked to me very clearly to be on his way to winning. He would have had it, would never have had the rematch, may have cruised on. But here's the problem, BC. I don't think people figured him out by accident. Jan is very talented but he has a lot of observable habits. And if you have a lot of observable habits, people can game plan around it. This is not a bad way to block a punch, but everything has its trade-offs. It has benefits and has minuses. The benefit is it's a great way to block and you don't have to move out of position. The problem is if you do this now, of course, your hands aren't there, for example, to defend a takedown 
or a body shot or whatever, and they have built game plans around this. That's the problem. yeah, Marab. Did you see that that clean double leg he got when when Jan was hiding up on the under the guard too much? You know, yeah, it, it was sweet. Uh, on this topic, would you compare this to the spinny shit Chris Weidman tried to pull against uh, Rockhold? Even though yeah, this and his is, career yeah, just went gonna... like that afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By yeah, the way, that was a we didn't mention it. Chris Weidman back in action. This past weekend in a uh, submission grappling match, sure, against this dude. I think his name is Owen Livery. Uh, he's I might be pronouncing his last name wrong. Uh, who is like a very well trained judoka, and I think a jujitsu black belt too, but like a high level judoka. Dude, they had a killer grappling match. And by the way, another sumigeshi that was used to get Chris Weidman off of him uh, when he got a double leg takedown. But like a great, great match. It was great to see Chris Weidman back. He didn't win BC, but he looked good. He looked pretty good. Yeah, I, I mean, this is this is all heart what he's doing right here. You know, trying to come back on his own terms. Just, and uh, I give him a lot of credit, Luke. It's it, uh, weird enough that I brought Weidman into this conversation of potential turning point moments. You have to say Anderson Silva in the first Weidman fight too, Luke. That was a pretty bad decision to try to lure in all those punches. And was he ever the same since then? No. No. No, no. That, that was a big-ass turning point for sure. All right, BC from DVR, DV Rauchi. With Marab clearly qualified for a title shot, would that be the biggest, most competitive teammates fight ever? Okay, BC, let's think about it. Biggest teammate fight ever. Are there big, like, guys from the same Kronk, or not Kronk gym, but, like, any major gym going at it in boxing that you can think of? I mean, stuff like that's happened, but... I mean, the biggest one is Rashad. Not on and John like a Jones, monster right? level. Yeah, yeah. Not. On, I mean, I remember even recently in boxing, Danny Jacobs fought Machi Sulechki, and they both had the same trainer. So Sulechki left that camp for one fight and got another trainer, but then came back after. But you know, that's not on this level. John Jones Rashad is. Isn't that the working comparison, basically? I mean, obviously, just to reset the timeline, Rashad had left Jacksons by the time they fought. But in terms that's of right. like teammates, in terms of teammates. For a while, and then having this major fallout. Uh, yes, in terms of like guys who stayed at the team, my understanding is this happens frequently in kickboxing, where guys who all train at like a you know, Mike's gym or whatever in Amsterdam, they'll end up competing against one another. It's really not that big a deal. Part of it is cultural. The Dutch don't seem to mind it nearly as much. Make of that what you will. Um, but Kamaru um, Gilbert, did you say Kamaru Gilbert? That's another one. Kamaru Gilbert's another one. Uh, but Marab and. Um, Marab and Aljo would be a big one if that if it happens. Again, I, I don't think it's likely, but I don't think it's crazy either. People are like, oh, it'll never happen. Sure. Yeah, those, sure those people that. need to check themselves before they wreck themselves, Luke. All right, BC, at Triple A 1017. Name anyone in MMA that has a better motor than Marab. BC, they don't exist. Not only does Marab have the best gas tank currently in MMA, trying to think long term, he might have the best one I've ever seen. And I'm not. Would you say thing. it's better than Sea Level Kane? <laughs> yeah, it is better than Sea Level Kane. Yeah, I mean that was pretty um, remarkable in that size of a body because it wasn't like yes. Kane was all cut up, Luke. You know he. Um. Yeah. It's 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 remarkable. It's remarkable. How many Who times has the highest we... volume, uh, like per round in boxing, like the Figueroa's and shit like that? They'd be up there. Yeah, they'd certainly be up there. Um. You know the times that those compu box records get challenged or broken a lot of times is when you have a aggressive boxer who doesn't have power. Remember like the, 
Baby Bull Juan Diaz, or there was this guy on ESPN Friday Night Fights, uh, Sucre Ray Oliveira back in the 90s and, and 2000s, who these are guys that just come at you and just nonstop, just hitting both buttons, A and B buttons, over and over again. But they don't, you know, don't have big gaudy knockout totals. No, no one's on Marab's. I mean, you know, the Diaz brothers do triathlons, Luke. I don't know if you've heard that before, but um, yeah, they've mentioned that a time or two billion. But you know, to, seriously, like remember when when DC like dominated Stipe in the first round of the rematch with the wrestling, and you know, I was like, why can't he just do that for the whole five rounds? And people were like, you can't do that for the whole five rounds. Or even Kurt, remember Curtis Blades kicked the shit out of Volkov for three rounds with wrestling, and then like barely made the finish line down the stretch. You can't do that, Luke. You just can't. And it's not all wrestling, right? But it's constant movement. You'd agree that these um these herky-jerky feints that are now full-time part of Marab's game, dude, that's that's not easy. That's not easy to pick up on. No, he's really beginning to blend it into something of a more coherent whole rather than just kind of going. So he can just go, but now he's putting some science behind it. And oof, yeah. the results are devastating. All right, BC, from at Jimmy underscore Reed. He says, living in Australia, Timmy Zhu has been presented as a superstar and our shining light in Australian boxing. Did that presentation translate to an American audience on the coverage over the weekend? What do you think, BC? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say, look, is the translate question about, did he come out in front of his home crowd, like looking like a stud, a star? Yeah, Looking like did. the crowd... The crowd, you know, has huge adulation for him. Yeah, I mean, when he do, you know, whether you thought that was cool or not, like when coming out being like, say my name, you know, what's my motherfucking name? Like he's he's out there screaming for respect, not just in the division for, you know, for Charlo, but I think to get out of the shadow of his father to some degree, too. And, you know, and Coach Jazoo was supposed to be at this fight, but they mentioned on the broadcast they had an ailing relative in Russia that kept him back. But, you know, they're close, but not like minute by minute close. And I think. That's all part of it is he's trying to prove to, to the world, but to his fans in Australia too. I'm just a, you know, my own person. And you can really say Luke, that there's some real poi, like, you know, in, in terms of intangibles, you know, it's like, I, I always been jealous, Luke, I've said this before of kids that grew up, like their dad owned a store or something, you know, this grow up like business is natural, you know, or the dad was a landlord or something. It's just like natural. I'll just slide into that area. Just, yeah, I've seen it done. Um, you know, the, look at what what this guy's seen done in his father, and and you mix that with hard work and extreme belief in yourself, and and you get the potential for the for that Terminator to come out in the big moments. Um, he looks like an absolute stud, and and you know maybe that U.S. debut, which was impressive but not not convincing enough in terms of like exactly who he is. Again, we've we've teased it around. He needed this in between fight before taking on the full challenge of Charlo for himself for the critics to understand who he really is. And he's all those things. He's a star and he is legitimately in contention here to potentially be the new undisputed champion. BC, uh, uh, my best friend in high school, his dad was an immigrant from Iran. Um, yeah. They had, they had to flee Iran in 1979 during the Islamic revolution. They were not Muslims. They were something called Baha'i. And uh, so they were, they were basically told leave or we're going to kill you. So they all left. And uh, so they moved to the United States and they opened up a video business to compete with blockbuster in marietta georgia they had several locations it was called video wonderland well you can imagine what happened to video wonderland it went tits up pretty quickly and yeah. uh so it was cool for a while my friend's dad had a video store but then i had to help them box videos so they could sell all the inventory that's sad. to get rid of it it sucked that was not much it was, fun it was interesting you used the term tits up did they have one of those back rooms with the curtain 
I don't where, think that they. I don't know if they did. I, not in the store like you I ever back there. Dude. Like you know, a lot of those stores, the guy at the register is not really paying attention. Like you could walk back there, and we've all done it. But there's a lot of shame associated with that because what if no, you come I, I, out? I told you this. I've rented. I dude, I go into there. I've done it. I've rented. Like in in college, I rented pornography from a local video store <laughs> and never returned it. Never returned it. Well, that's they were probably like, the policy. Like, uh, yeah. they, they, they were like, this is back in the days of answering machines. So like my 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 roommates would play it in college. They'd be like, this is uh whatever the store was called, like you know, video fuckface land, whatever it was. And they'd be like, uh, this question is for Luke Thomas. You have an overdue title. It's uh it's an adult feature. If you could give us a call back or return that at your earliest convenience, that'd be great. Thanks, bye. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm not that's returning. Nice burying the bone four hours of barking yeah. and banging i'm not doing that okay <laughs> no but like you know you'd have to take a real risk on potential shame because you know it's in your town when you come out from that curtain anybody's parents could be standing right there luke your teacher anyone but you know did i did i shamelessly roll that dice the answer luke again and again yeah yeah i did you know i, I did. certainly uh, did as well yeah, uh bc right now too yeah yeah last but not least last but not least at harrison smith 27 is leon talking about leon edwards is leon's road to victory easier or harder for this fight than the one before it's actually what does an that interesting mean? question so what does the road I, to victory part mean so here's what i think he means like okay on the one hand you got the win over kamaru so there's two ways to look at that one you realize, wait a second, I can do this. I can find openings. I can look on tape. I can set things up. I've literally stopped him with strikes. Why couldn't I do it again? Boost your confidence, give you a potential roadmap of technique to follow. That's one interpretation. The other, ter other interpretation is, okay, you stopped him. Does this overly motivate Kamaru, who, by the way, hasn't done a ton of media leading up to this. I want to point that out. That's one Yeah, thing. he'll be talking to me tomorrow. Just to Very good, tomorrow. very good. But I'm pointing out, uh, and also, does he now, based on what he's seen on tape, change a bunch of things that close a bunch of doors that may have been available to you based on what happened the last time? So does it really lift Leon in both in terms of motivation and actual things he can look at? Or does it actually lift Kamaru by him closing the doors on deficiencies that he previously had open? That's fair. That's fair. I, I, uh, I, can, I can hear Reggie Jackson purring. Yeah, he's very aggressive in all the things he does in life, including trying to take down all of my posters aggressively to get me mad at him. So then I'll pet him, Luke. You know, he's got a system and a plan. I'll say this ultimately about that question. Uh, wait, wait, what was the question again? No, I got it. Um, I'll say that there's more pressure on him now and in front of the home crowd. But in his mind, he's got to be pretty confident because, you know, there was some luck involved, but it, it was a calculated move that won him that. And we do have to ask those two things that I'm sure we mentioned on the pregame preview, the combination of what does a knockout loss that devastating due to Kamaru physically and mentally, and the idea of he's 36 with a very intensive style. When does he get old? Does that knockout help him get, cause I'm not looking for him to break down, but if you get, if you slip a little bit at this level, right, you know, could Leon come through and yeah, I mean, Leon, I wouldn't be, I've largely been under the idea that all oh, that's great. But if Usman's really that champion, that transcendent guy, he's going to come back and fix this, you know, in a GSP, Sarah, Nunes, Pena type deal. But people like to counter that by reminding me that Leon Edwards took Usman down in round one and won the round, Luke. So, you know, there are parts of him that feels style-wise in the way this makes up. But, Luke, the missing ingredient, the most DMs that I get on this topic, usually in relation to this pregame preview we just put out, 
is why are you guys not mentioning the elevation in Salt Lake City and how that affected both fighters in that fight and how that won't be there this time? And could that make Leon's road easier than harder this time around? Mm, I mean, it benefits both guys. And you're talking about a guy in Kamaru who, when he wants to, can have an insane work rate. Remember, who were the other two fighters I mentioned beyond Marab, who had at least 10 takedowns in the one fight that they also have 100 significant strikes landed? It was Kane, it was Kamaru, and now it's Marab. So you're talking about a guy who can fucking work when he wants to. Um, I don't, I definitely see that as a benefit for both guys, honestly. I don't, I don't, to me, it's like, maybe Usman gets a little bit more of a benefit because he works more, but I don't see that as like the deciding factor one way or the other. Right. No, yeah, I'd stand with you on that. Yeah, certainly not. Certainly you, we're not ignoring it or at least we're not, we're not trying to ignore it. Uh, but I don't know how decisive that will be. That's a little harder to say. Yeah. Also, these guys are championship level fighters. Like it's not like Leon has bad cardio. Leon's got Leon's got real good cardio, or at least good enough. Certainly, uh, maybe not as good as Kamaro, but he's got very good cardio. He's not he's not an unprepared fighter under any circumstance. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see. Now, BC, we All have right. a choice to make. Uh, oh, actually, we don't have a choice to make. Uh, do you want to tell the folks what's up with? Have you seen this shit? Yeah, we're having uh, playback issues here, so uh, we're going to be unable to unveil the HYSTS today. We'll have to run that on Wednesday's show. But we will close, Luke, with some actual big news from over the weekend and a video to play with it. Uh, we were When we last left you on talks of an idea of an undisputed heavyweight championship bout between Tyson Fury and three-belt champion Alexander Usyk, Fury had sent that video that we played that said, you know, you, pay, you let me get that 70-30 financial cut or you're shit out of luck, brother. We got a response from Usyk. Let's throw to that video. That hey, so greedy belly, I accept your offer. 70-30 split to fight with you on April 29th at Wembley. But you will promise to donate to Ukrainian immediately after the fight. On million pounds on every day of your daily, you will pay 1% from your poorest to Ukrainian people. Deal. Luke, you know he's trolling us with that like fake Borat thing, but when he opens with greedy belly, like that's just brilliant. I find this whole thing exhausting. And then Tyson has some new stipulation. I haven't seen he Tyson's just, new one, but you know, Mike just Coppinger. Put it like, like minutes ago, he just put it Okay. Out. It it appeared from Mike Coppinger of ESPN's reporting that April 29th is real, that Usyk is really accepting the 30% split financially. And we are really adding this absolute historical masterpiece of a fight to an already loaded March and April here in combat sports. Uh, hell yeah. Can I say that out loud? Hell yeah. yeah. You feeling it or no? You got feeling it. Got... Yeah, no big time. If they can make it happen, they keep doing this BS yeah. in the media. I don't care, but uh, if they make it happen, yeah, but hell the, yeah. if the biggest struggle is the 30%, the man said, you know, Hey, donate a million pounds to, to Ukraine and let's do it. Tyson just, might just, have just that. Fucking, kind of just, you don't, you donate a million. Stop doing this. This is just fucking nonsense. Make the fight okay. or don't make the fucking fight. Like, oh, you have to go to a million dollars to... with that. It's just, yeah. it's just fucking ridiculous. Like, it's just these. Who is this for? Who is this? All for? right, we're gonna be, we're gonna be loading the Tyson Fury response in the, uh, in the, in the hopper soon to play. But Luke, Yo, how uh, old is Reggie Jackson? He's like three now, I think. Oh, he's young. 
Yeah, yeah, he's starting to finally slow. Maybe four. Yeah, he's starting to figure life out a little bit more and not just break everything. And so, like you know, my wife thinks that, that all the animals walk all over me, Luke. Like I don't put up boundaries, but you know, I, you know, they're you, my only. There's true nothing. Friends, you know? There's nothing in the world that you love more than stray animals. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All of these were. This was a homeless cat, Luke. That I that we legitimately uh, rescued. And where did you get? Where did you get Reggie from? Just a shelter. I told you, a shelter in oh, Shelton, right, Connecticut, right. where he was. He's around dogs, so he's not afraid of anything except for going outside. Luke, he's you know violently afraid of that. But outside of that, you know, in this in his castle, he's the king, and we're all just trying to you know catch up to him. You know, one part. regret I have with Moco, I didn't have a great answer for it because if you take your cat to the vet, the vet will tell you this: do what you want. But the studies are clear: if you let your cat out, they are in general going to have a much shorter life. Yes, right yes. between. Between other animals getting them, depending on where you live, cars, you name it. They just, they live shorter lives in general. But they tend to live happier lives, I think. Uh, so I had cats that I let out, but all of them got fucked up over time. So I was like, all right, well, Moko's going to stay inside. But yo, Moko hated staying inside, man. I yeah. always felt really bad about it. I didn't know what to do, you know? I hear you. Uh, Luke, where do you rank Usyk Fury in your, I'm most excited about this single combat sports fight over the next few months? top six or seven wow six or seven really yeah okay I, I this one i gotta would... tell you I, this one doesn't do much for me i mean let me be clear about this i i want to see it i hope it gets made it's important to be made i don't in any way challenge any of the things you've said about it that make it relevant or important or interesting it just doesn't call my attention that strong uh partly because i believe fury's gonna win i don't think it's that competitive i mean i think it's competitive but like Ultimately, I just I'd be very surprised if Fury lost. Um, I have to tell you, you know what I'm much more interested in, which apparently Jake Donovan has given some life to, is that apparently there are some real talks, real talks between Francis and Ganu and Deontay and, Wilder, and and I heard AJ too. Those right. there's reports out there that he's talking to both. So like that, let's stick with Wilder. They were supposed to make Wilder Ruiz, but they but both guys balked at it because. The, they're both with PBC, but the money that they had offered to do the fight, I guess it wasn't enough for them, or they didn't, they, they just didn't work. So they went in a different direction. Now, Deontay is expensive. Well, you could pay Deontay a lot if you're also paying Francis a lot for one of these crossover fights. And, dude, here's the best part Francis, we know, has just nuclear power. How much with the gloves and in a boxing contest? I don't know. But, BC, it's not like Deontay's a great boxer. No, of course. That's the yes. thing, dude. Like, he gets hit. And fuck this fight would be gonna hit. This fight would be more about Francis's um like head movement and defense. Like how long yeah. can he hang in here? Because I mean, but but also don't forget, Francis got a chin on him. I mean, he took a sustained beating in the first Stipe fight and had his gas tank just you know poured upside down twice over and still you know still grinded in that well, fight. He'll need it against a guy like Wilder if they make it because he's got nuclear power too. Anyway, yeah. we've got the Fury response if you want. Yeah, play. let's hear from Tyson Fury here. Thank you, Mikey, on the uh Hi, Tyson Fury here. Just a quick one. I've been speaking to the lawyers today and Usek's people are talking about rematch clauses and all that bollocks. Here's one to up the antes. How about there is no fucking rematch clause for both of us? 
Let's up the antes completely. Never worry about what's in the future and how many more dollars you can get after you've been defeated. Worry about the fight. April 29th, no rematch clause. The winner takes the glory. The loser goes home with his dick in his hand. How about that? Agree to that, you fucking bitch. <laughs> Dude, that's, a, that's an all-time great soundbite right there. Holy crap. Just Take silly. that, you Just yeah. silly. The, the loser will go home, most likely, with their dick in their hands. But I'll tell you this. Does that make you um, – I get it, what you said off the, tar off the start. Just, like, make the fight and shut up. But we're still getting this fight, right? Uh, probably. I don't Good. know. I don't want to April 29th, I don't know. I, I don't know yeah. if we're getting April 29th. All right. Real quickly, May 20th, Luke, sources uh, Mike Coppinger of ESPN reporting. Devin Haney, all four lightweight titles against Loma? Vasily Lomachenko. Oh, Give me that. Give me that, brother. Yeah, that's a sick one. That's a sick and one. That's going to be great. The other bit of news was, of course, the main event on Saturday for Zufa and company was the first slap pay-per-view, Luke, which aired free to li live to free, whatever, on Rumble. Dana it's not much says, of a pay-per-view if it's, it's airing for free, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dana says uh, Rumble is on board for seasons two and three now of yeah. slap and for season two they're going to take it to fight island yaz island there in in uh dubai and it's going to be the season one all-stars against the best in the world from the power countries right poland and all in russia and all the other ones where this sport originated in um, sport is that what it is yeah these are fights and this is a sport um my question to you luke is is the rumble deal for Seasons two and three, a clear indication that this is going nowhere or. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. You know, who's not up for season two and three TBS, the people who aired season one. So that tells you a lot. Number one, number two, it's like, dude, they're just taking every idea they've are. There's like not one new idea in this whole thing. Have you noticed yeah, that? Like yeah. everything is, let's just take the existing blueprint and do, I mean, just work with that. Nothing else whatsoever. Nothing original whatsoever. And uh, yeah, dude, if that's your if that if that is interesting to you, then um, yeah, we're not the show for you. So there you go. There it is, Luke. I uh, hope hopefully both of us can make it in the four minute media hit job video about how uh, we were double standards because we support MMA but we don't support the slap. Yeah, I'm looking but, forward uh, to that. Okay, uh, we'll right, have we Happy seen this yeah? shit on wednesday uh reggie's trying to get out luke uh maybe we should get out too all right maybe we should all right so sorry about the fact that we don't have have you seen this shit today we will do it wednesday uh bc oh wait wait are you still there yeah yeah i had to let reggie out all right yeah one quick second so i have jury duty tomorrow <laughs> i have wednesday literal no no tomorrow tuesday so i have jury well, duty i can't tomorrow. hear you i got audio problems look this is great i'm getting new equipment in the mail tomorrow and hopefully that'll can fix it can you speak speak you nonsense so i can yes, try to good. find yes. a spark yeah, one, two, I'll three, just four, unplug five. and listen. Go ahead. All right, just fucking take him off screen, Mikey, because what the fuck are we doing? Uh, I actually have jury duty tomorrow, so I don't know if that's going to last into Wednesday. I don't think it will, but it might. So we'll have to see how that goes. Either way, you will get have you seen the shit on Wednesday. So reminder, you can reach the, the show morning combat at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to reach for Wednesday's fan subs, Friday's dead wrong. We, of course, are, don't forget, Showtime is the label that pays. Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. I'm uh, here, Luke. Yeah, I'm okay. back. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just letting everyone know about the jury duty that I have tomorrow, and that like that may interfere with things on Wednesday. I don't know. I don't know. Would you be that. willing to talk about the trial if you get picked, like with regular updates on the show, but without 
naming names or specific no you, if, or accusations. If, you're, if you're serving on a jury you're not supposed to talk about it with like the details of it with uh people outside of the uh, your your fellow jurors or the judge or something you're you're forbidden from doing that now once the trial is over yes i can tell you whatever but the thing is in voir dire i may not get picked because i'll just be like yo i got full-blown ebola slash aids just i can't be here so just send me home and we'll see what they do i don't know yeah it's gonna snow 12 to 16 inches here tomorrow luke so i'm finally gonna finish the rocky creed rundown we nice. watched rocky balboa over the weekend and you know the kids are they liked it they were back luke they you know we liked it you know the response again so much better than rocky one all right well let's call it a day here for this show appreciate everyone who tuned in we'll see you guys on wednesday for brian campbell i'm luke thomas thanks to showtime thanks to malka Thanks to CBS, especially Mikey Morms, who did a great job today. We'll see you guys on Wednesday. And until then, may all of your gains be loyal.